0: Well, hey there guys, greetings and salutations and welcome back to the channel for today's installment of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open. The floor, as they would say, is yours. What are the things you want to talk about? That's what we're here to do. It's kind of like the John Campbell show, except just more, much more laid back, much more relaxed, uh, just kind of casual chatting and talking. That's what we're here to do on a very rainy day in California. We've been getting a lot of rain here. It's weird. I moved down to California. We're in, like, years of drought. In the last couple of years, we have been getting, like, tons of rain. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of rain here, but it's uh, that's good. Uh, good to have you guys here. And, listen, I'm going to let you know there's two different ways that you can get a topic, question, opinion, thought, whatever, uh, on Mike. The first way is by using the tip link. Uh, the tip link, which you can see uh, right here, streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. You can anytime, 24-7, if like 3 in the morning, a question strikes you and you want to send it in, you can send it in, and then we'll get around to doing it at the next open Mike. The other way is to use the Super Chat feature, uh, which is in the live chat. And uh, you can use that there. And as long as your question is appropriate to be used on the show, uh, I will address it. All right, today's gonna be a long one, I think, for uh, a couple of different reasons. One, we've got all the, the the questions you guys have sent in already. Plus, earlier today on the John Campus Show, uh, we found out that a bunch of super chats that people sent didn't come through to us. We, we've got a system set up on the John Campus Show where when somebody sets in a super chat, it gets translated through to a third-party software that we use that then can display the Super Chat on the screen so people can see their Super Chats up on our screen. Well, for whatever reason, at some point, uh, that software stopped working, and we there was a bunch of questions that got sent in that we didn't see. So what we did after the show was done, we went into the YouTube, to the back end of the YouTube studio uh program. And we went in and we pulled all those questions out and I'm going to address those. So the super chats that didn't get answered in the John Campus show earlier, don't worry, I got you covered. We're, we're going to answer them here on open mic. Um, And uh, so we got all the tip questions that came in, all the, the questions that we didn't get answered on the John Campus show earlier, plus your guys' live questions. And on top of that, got something I want to talk about. You guys may know, and you've probably seen this because it's going around all over the place, and a whole bunch of people are losing their goddamn minds having to make videos about what Chris Stuckman said. I I, I will never, like, I understand making videos to give your opinion. I I don't know that I'll ever understand making videos to give your opinion about somebody else's opinion. Somebody said something I don't agree with. I'm going to make a video about it. Whatever. You're that lonely, and you got to do that to amuse yourself. Feel free. Anyway, but a lot of people losing their mind. And so, so Chris Stuckman makes this video called "We Need to Talk About This," kind of about the Madam Web situation. But the thing about it was, it wasn't a movie review. He wasn't reviewing Madam Web, right? He was specifically making a video editorial about what he sees as studio interference in the creative process, right? That's really what that video is about. The movie wasn't about reviewing Madam Webb, It wasn't about talking about the acting in the movie or the plot or it was an editorial video about studios involving themselves, imposing themselves in the creative process, right? That's what the video was about. And I see a lot of, and, and by the way, there's a number of things he said in that video that I thoroughly disagree with. And, and I will talk about that. Sure. Just since we're going to be bringing up the video and just to balance things out, I will talk about the the point counterpoint where Chris and I have a difference of opinion on some things here, but a great example is this. There, were, there was somebody in the live chat earlier who was just not getting it. Who was saying to me, you know, John, Chris says in that video that everything was the studio's fault. Nothing was the writer's fault. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I watched the video. Point me to where he said that because I don't think I heard anywhere him say that. And he said, here at this point, he says, I'm not here to bash creatives. I'm like, well, you do know I'm not here to bash the creatives is him giving context to the video. It's a disclaimer it's not him saying nothing was the creator's fault. You know that, right? But, but at, at any rate, so before I even saw that Chris made a video about this, I saw all these videos popping up on my feed about why Chris Stuckman is wrong and Chris Stuckman is a sellout and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, holy crap! I gotta go watch this video. What what are they talking about? Because you know I hated Madam Webb, right? Like. We've made that abundantly, maybe even overly so, I admit. I admit we've probably gone overboard on our bashing of of Madame Web. But you know I hate that movie, and I think it completely sucks. So let me give some context before we go into it here. All the videos people are making about what Chris said, the things I disagree with Chris about. Let's go into that um, here in a sec, but let me set some context first. As a disclaimer, and just so you guys know, uh, I happen to like Chris Stuckman very much. Um, I, I wouldn't say Chris Stuckman and I are friends, but you know, I, I, I for a long time I have believed that there are two guys who have epitomized and been the very best movie critics on the platform, on YouTube, ever. And and for the record, I'm not a movie critic. I'm a pundit. I talk about movie news and I analyze movie news more than anything else. I mean, I review films in the same way that any average movie fan reviews films, but I'm not a film critic, right? I think the two guys who are the absolute best film critics that have ever been, like true film critics, that have ever been on YouTube are Chris Stuckman and Jeremy Johns. Uh, and they're they're polar opposites from each other. Like Jeremy Johns reviews films from the visceral uh, experiential nature of films. That's how he, he kind of reviews his films from that perspective. Chris Stuckman gives has traditionally given more analysis of movies. Neither or better, n- neither method is more is better than the other. It's just that they're very, very polar opposites. But I think the two of them represent like the best on YouTube. And, uh, and I, I think they're very, very good. I mean, Chris doesn't do a lot of movie reviews anymore, but, um, traditionally I think they're both very, very good at what they do. And, you know, uh, Chris and I have had lunch and dinner together on a couple of occasions. Chris has sat on panels of mine at Comic-Con on a couple of occasions. I believe on like two occasions, uh, Chris has come into my studio, um, when I was at various places to come and do some collab videos with me in the past, Um, and listen, again, like I said, I I would not say Chris Stockman and I are friends. Uh, and I certainly have diametrically opposed views to him on a number of things, but I have a world of respect for Chris. I really, really do. So that being said, I also want to give a preface to this saying on my YouTube channel, We do not talk about other YouTubers. I mean, sometimes I want to point out, hey, there was this really interesting video that this guy made. Or hey, there was this great article on this site. Uh, But I, I don't like to say, I want to talk about why I take issue with what this guy said. Like, I don't talk about other YouTubers here. I will talk about themes. I will talk about trends I see on YouTube. But uh, you guys who watch my channel, you know I never go, I want to talk about this guy. Like I never do that. Like I'll talk about general trends I see and all that kind of stuff. This video is really not about Chris Stuckman as it is about a philosophy that seems to be very prevalent in YouTube right now and how we see that philosophy manifesting itself in the responses we're seeing to what Chris Stuckman said. And again, there's there's a bunch of things that Chris said that I personally disagree with, and that's fine. Uh, I'll cover those. But this is not... If if you came here expecting to see a Chris Stuckman bashing video, which is all the trend, right? Making bashing videos is what the desperate and pathetic do to try to get some attention. I don't do that. Um, But if you came here specifically to see me bash Chris Stuckman, uh, you're in the wrong place. If you came here to see me be a white knight and be Chris Stuckman's champion, you're also in the wrong place. Because there's, a, like I said, there's a couple things Chris said. But the specific thing that I wanted to kind of talk about is really more the response that we've seen on YouTube in general to it, to, to the stuff that Chris Stuckman says, right? Um. So let's start with this. So Chris makes this video. I'm sure many of you have seen it by now. And the first foremost thing you need to understand about this video, and, and I watched it a little bit earlier this afternoon, was that the video was not a Madam Web review. And I've seen a bunch of people making YouTube videos about Chris and, and this video acting as if he was doing a Madam Web review and he was just taking it easy on Madam Webb, Right. Like, you've probably seen some of those videos out there. Like, they're responding as if this video was a Madam Web review, and he was just taking it really easy on Madam Web. And that's not what the video was. The video was not a Madam Web review. The video was an editorial on studios injecting themselves into the creative process and held up Madam Madam Web as an example of this. But that's what the video was. It wasn't about the pros and the cons of the movie. It wasn't about the quality level of the movie. It wasn't about, um, you know, who's to blame for what worked or didn't work in the movie. That That's not what his video was about. His video was very specifically about studios imposing themselves in the creative process. That's what it was about. And so everything he talked about in that video was from that perspective, was from the perspective of studios imposing themselves into the creative process, which is a long Hollywood tradition going back to the 1930s, okay? So I'm convinced that a number of the videos I saw of people angry at Chris, like watched the first two minutes of his video and then turned it off. You know, one of the things, here's the thing you understand about Chris Stuckman. You guys know he's now made made a movie. It's not come out yet, I don't believe. I'm not going to pretend like I'm following the progress of his film. I don't know where it's at. I I couldn't even tell you the name of it. But he's been making a film. And as a result, a while ago, he said, I'm going to kind of change my direction on YouTube, right? He's very forthright about it. He's very, very honest about it. He says, look, I'm going to kind of change my um, approach to what it is I do. I'm going to change what I do on YouTube, right? I'm not really going to criticize I'm not going to really uh, critique movies anymore. I'm going to more celebrate movies that I like, right? I'm not he essentially was saying I'm not I am not functioning as a film critic anymore. He was pretty open and honest about that. He he told the world he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't pretending. He pretty much told the world, "Look, I'm not really going to function as a film critic anymore. I'm still going to have my YouTube channel. I'm going to celebrate the things that I enjoy like a lot of other YouTubers do." And that's what I'm doing. And you got to understand that Chris is in a very interesting position right now that really nobody that I can think of has really been in before. A YouTube film critic that is also trying to successfully, he's trying to successfully launch a filmmaker career. And he's got like kind of one leg in both worlds right now. We haven't really seen... No, nobody's done this before to kind of lay a precedent or to lay a roadmap for the best ways and the best practices and how to navigate it, right? So Stuckman's kind of in many ways, he's kind of a trailblazer in many ways. Now you might be saying, John, wait a minute, you've made movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not a filmmaker. And I've never pretended to be a filmmaker. Like I did my first movie, The Anniversary. The main reason I made that movie was because I wanted to better appreciate what it is filmmakers do for my online film punditry job. Like, even when I made my movie The Anniversary, it was about helping me hopefully, hopefully, become better at my online film punditry job. I made my movie, uh, Prince of Peace, God of War, because that was, that was a passion project uh, of a documentary. It was not about becoming a filmmaker. I did movie trailers, a love story, just because, well, that kind of fits in my world, right? I, to make a documentary about movie trailers, I thought I thought that fit. But again, all of my filmmaking has been about hopefully trying, maybe in vain, to make me better at my job. Chris is really the first one who's trying to cross the streams. He's trying to cross over, move between worlds sort of thing, like an America Chavez, jump realities from being a film critic and yet also being a filmmaker. And I don't know what the right way for the, to do that is because nobody's done it before. Nobody's done it before. So he's trying to figure it out right? He's trying to figure out how do I maintain my YouTube presence to celebrate film and talk about movies the way I love it without being a film critic anymore because I'm also a filmmaker and also try to transition to being a filmmaker. It's uncharted territory. Nobody's done it. And I can't help but laugh at people who act like they know how he should do it. You know, Everybody is the world's biggest expert on how other people should do things. Have you ever noticed that? I often say everybody's an expert on how other people should spend their money. Everybody's an expert on how other people should do things, even though they have absolutely zero experience in it themselves. Everybody wants to pretend like they know how Chris Stuckman should be navigating this uncharted territory that will become more more of a thing in the future. You're going to see more YouTubers transition into becoming filmmakers down the road. But Chris is really in this uncharted territory And he's trying to figure it out, right? So anyway, let's get back to the Madam Webb situation here. So he comes out and says, look, I'm not here to bash on the filmmakers uh, because he's been very clear about that line he's trying to separate himself with. But he did not absolve filmmakers of any responsibility. Again, I watched the video. I was looking for any spot where he said none of this was the writer's fault. As a matter of fact, there's a place in Chris's video where he said, I, quite often studios will take what a writer does and, and like force them to change it. And he says, now I'm not saying that happened here with Madam Webb because he doesn't know. So he said, I'm not saying that happened here with Madam Webb. I'm just saying that happens often, right? So he was he was very clear in what the video was about. He was very clear that this was not a movie review. He was very clear about what the purpose of the video was. And yet the amount of vitriol i have seen pointed at chris and again i'm going i'm going to get into the things here that i disagreed with chris on in just a moment here the amount of vitriol i've seen coming from across youtube about chris duckman simply saying I'm not here to bash on Madam Webb, but I'm here to talk about what's wrong with studios injecting themselves into the creative project. And by the way, you got to be a special kind of stupid. I mean a world-class kind of stupid. If you watched Chris's video and didn't clearly take away from the fact that Chris was obviously saying Madam Webb's not a very good movie, right? Like you have to either be willfully ignorant, plugging your ears, or you didn't watch the video. I mean, clearly, if you watch this video, Chris didn't veil it very well that he believed this was a very, very poor movie, but he was using it as the example of studios and injecting themselves in the creative process. So I, and again, I'm not going to point out any of the specific videos that I came across because I came across a bunch of them on YouTube that were just so angry at Chris. So angry at Stuckman, and I'm not going to point any out. And again, we don't talk about specific YouTubers here, but just in general, I, I came across one again. I'm not naming names, but I came across this one that was like, "Tip that Chris Stuckman has a responsibility to bash on Madam Webb." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Take your panties out of your mouth, take a deep breath, and think about what you just said." Chris Stuckman is a YouTuber uh, he's, he does not have a responsibility. The only responsibility that Chris Stuckman has is to be honest. And at every step he was honest, right? He says, Hey, listen, I'm trying to become a filmmaker now. So I'm not really going to be a film critic anymore. I'm not going to be bashing on films and I'm not going to target creators, but I still want to celebrate the things I love about movies. And I still want (laughs) to talk about issues in movies that I see came up. And, And then today or the other day, he made a video about the issue of studios injecting themselves into the creative process. He's been honest. That's his only responsibility. His only responsibility is to be honest. And at every step along the way, whether you like what he said or not, whether I like what he said or not, or agree with what he said or not, he was just being honest. And he was being honest across the board. That is the only thing he has a responsibility to. And, and then one of these YouTubers kind of tipped their hand. Because they were getting, like, this one YouTuber is getting so riled up, like so angry and whatever. And they tip their hand as to one of the real motivations behind the video. Because he said, it just really gets me angry that I work, saying, I work so hard and do all this and I only get this many views and Chris Stuckman gets millions of views. And I, it's like, oh, well, there it is, right? I mean, there it is. You just accidentally let it slip what you're really angry about or why you're making this video. At, at, at any rate, at any rate. So, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of these uh, corners of YouTube just making Bash on Chris Stuckman video today because they want to just put Chris Stuckman in the title of their video. Isn't Chris Stuckman in the title of this video? Maybe I need to take his name out of the video. Anyway, so just wanted to rage bait, right? They just wanted to rage bait, like, hey, I'm going to go after this, this big YouTuber. And and that's what it was about for them. Has nothing to, and I, and like I said, I watched a good seven or eight of these videos and at least five of them, I just got the feeling that they didn't actually watch the whole video. I just got the feeling they watched like the first couple of minutes and then they rushed to their webcam to make their rage click video. Anyway, (laughs) it's just, just funny. So Let me though address just so you're you're not being confused into thinking I'm I'm st- here to simply defend Chris Stockman. Chris doesn't need defending. Chris has been doing this a, a very, very long time. Chris is a big boy. He doesn't need anybody defending him because he could squash a lot of these other people like bugs if he wanted to, I'm sure <clears throat> but I, I think it's also important to point out since we're talking about it, uh, some of the things in his editorial video that I disagree with him on an intellectual level uh, from what he was editorializing. And again, I say this is somebody who's a great, uh, with great respect for what Chris has done. I, I think he's one of the best, if not one of the top two best guys to ever do it. Load of respect for him. But let me address something here Because I see something that he said that I see reflected in a lot of film fans and a lot of film fans seem to believe, right? Chris, who is now becoming a filmmaker, is becoming increasingly, understandably so, because now he's actually in that world. He's like now moving in in that ether world of of filmmaker. That, you know, there's a really big problem of studios imposing themselves in the creative process there's a couple of things I would say to that. Number one is in the video, Chris seemed to be implying that this is a new thing. Chris has studied as much film history as, as I have. I like, I'm, I'm kind of a history. I love reading like stuff about the old studios and the people who ran them. I'm, I just, I'm a big geek about that. It's, I'm not a big fan of musical biopics, but I'm a big fan of biopics, both written and film and, So, I'm a bit of a student of the history of film. And what I would say is that studios have always, always been heavily imposing themselves on the filmmakers who work for them in making their movies. This isn't anything new. This isn't um, some kind of a new trend. It's like, you know, somewhere in the early 2000s, studios started telling what filmmakers can do. Studios started started to tell the filmmakers what they can and can't do. It's like, dude, that's been that way since the 1940s. I mean, that's, that is every great movie you have ever seen, with the very, very rare exception. But I would say 99.9% of movies. There are a couple of very hand-picked select exceptions Yes, but 99% of all the movies you've ever watched in theaters, including some of the greatest of all time, have had what we would call heavy studio interference, right? A lot of studio interference. And Chris seems to have, and again, this is where I intellectually disagree with him, and I say this with great respect. Uh, Chris seems to have the same opinion that a lot of film fans have, which I'll never understand, is that the artist is sacrosanct, right? It's like the artist. You don't interfere with my creative vision. I have, I see, I see the lights and I have a vision for this creative artistry that I want to create and bring to the people. But the thing is, it's never been that way. It's never been that way. And like, even when you go back and watch stuff about like, we all agree the Lord of the Rings trilogy is awesome, right? We all agree with that. Yeah. Peter Jackson has spoken many times about the things he had to change and the pushback he got from the studio and the compromises that had to be made that he says, ultimately, he believes ended up in making a better film. Uh, the, the movie that really launched the golden era of comic book movies today, the first Avengers movie, right? I mean, it got kind of got kicked off with Iron Man, yeah, yeah, but it was like the first Avengers movie, breaking the billion-dollar mark and, and really kind of creating this new era of billion-dollar comic book films. Joss Whedon spoke uh, at length. I mean, I was at the DGA when he was doing the special presentation. He talked a lot about the fact that Marvel heavily interfered, but... He instead of calling interference, he called it collaboration. You've heard me tell the story before, but Josh Whedon was saying, like for example, like somebody in the audience asked him, "Can you give us an example of something they forced you to change?" And he said, "Yeah, my script, my original script was very waspy. He had the wasp. He had he, had, he was he was going to have wasp in in the original Avengers lineup, and it was going to play an important part of the movie." He said, but the studio came to me and we said, nah, we, 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 no, no, we don't want Wasp, uh, but we want Black Widow. We want Black Widow in the movie. And Joss was like, I have not planned on using Black. I don't want Black Widow in the movie. They're like, we want Black Widow in the movie. So Joss was like, all right, you're paying for it. I'll put Black Widow in the movie. And made one of the greatest comic book films of all time. I think the greatest comic book film of all time. See, The thing is, what I, I think Chris and a lot of film fans and even YouTubers and what are, are missing is that I like to compare it to a home renovation person. Now I understand there are differences, so please don't come at me with that nonsense. But at, at the at the there's there's a real similarity between like a filmmaker and a home renovation person, like a, a designer, right? <clears throat> The filmmaker goes into somebody else's house. That's the studio. Because remember, the movie is their movie. They're paying for everything. They got to live with it. They got to suffer the financial consequences if the movie's a bomb. All that kind of stuff. The movie belongs to the studio. It's theirs, right? The filmmaker is somebody coming in to help the studio make their movie. Because it's their movie. It's like a home interior designer comes into my house. It's my house. Like, you're the creative. You're the one with the training. And you're the one with the vision. But at the end of the day, it's my house, right? And if your creative vision is to have blue in my living room, but I tell you, okay, that's great, but I really hate blue. I don't hate blue, by the way. I'm just for the sake of the discussion. And I say to the designer, that's that's fine. You have this creative vision, and I like a lot of what you're doing, but I don't want blue in my living room. But I'm the artist. You, you're impeding on my creative vision, I must be free like a bird on the breeze in the Sahara to float on the glory of angels. That's great and everything. It's my living room, though. I'm the one who's got to live with it. I'm the one who's got to live in it. I'm the one paying for it. And I like your design for my house and everything. And and I acknowledge you're the creative, but I don't want blue in my living room. Guess what? There ain't going to be fucking blue in my living room because it's my damn living room. And that doesn't mean I don't respect the creative person doing the design who has a vision for my house and all that kind of stuff. I do. I respect it, all that kind of stuff. Most of what they want to do, I'm going to let them do. But there's going to be certain things that I, as the homeowner, for my own reasons, may want different from their vision. And it's their job then. Now, hear hear this. This is important, okay? This is important. When I tell the designer about the things I want that's different from their vision. It's not like the designer then just gets to go, well, then I'm just not going to design anything in your living room. No, you still got to do my living room. So now it's the, the designer, the creative's responsibility to take the directive I've given them and still make something great out of it. That's what good creatives do. Good creatives Will take their limitations. I, I used to be saying it used to be said in the in the role playing game world. Limitation is actually the limitations are actually the mother of creativity. Limitations, they would say in the in the uh, role playing game world, is the mother of creativity, and so. If I say to the house designer, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't want your blue in my living room. I want something else. I want this. Okay, maybe it's not what you would have done, but you still now have to take it and make something great taking my directive from what I want and just do the best you can. In the world of filmmaking, I believe the same principle applies. If you're a talented filmmaker, if you're a talented writer, if you're a talented director, and the studio, it's their house, says, hey, yeah, we, we love this, but we don't want this, and we don't want this, and we want something else here. Well, then it's your job as the creatives to make something as good as possible out of that. I love Sam Raimi. I love him dearly. I've, I've, I've met with the man several times. He's given me some really cool gifts that I have in my house. I love Sam Raimi. But I get really sick and tired of hearing people say, well, like when you bring up Spider-Man 3, saying, well, you know, that wasn't Sam Raimi's fault. I'm like, what are you talking about? It wasn't Sam Raimi's fault. He directed the film. Well, yeah, but the studio made him put Venom in the movie. Huh? Did you hear about that, John? He didn't want to have Venom in the movie, but the studio said you got to have Venom in the movie. Okay. Then make a great movie with Venom. Like, I say that... um, I say that as if making a great movie is easy. It's not. Making a great movie is very hard. What Sam Raimi does is incredibly difficult. But... It's just like the the interior designer to a house owner. If I tell the interior designer I want something different from what they designed, then it's still their job to take what I want and try to make something great out of it. If the studio said to Sam Raimi, great, we, we can't wait for you to do Spider-Man 3, but here's the thing, we want you to put Venom in it. Even if it wasn't a part of Sam Raimi's plan, it's now Sam Raimi's job as the creative to make something great with Venom in it. Even though it wasn't his plan, Chris points out several times in his video that, you know, I can, I just feel like here is something that maybe the writers wouldn't have done or whatever, and we don't know if that's true or not. And he says, he, he acknowledges, he's very, very honest. He acknowledges we don't know that that's the case with the writers and Madam Webb or not. But I would submit to you that even if such limitations were put on the writers, and the director, it is still their responsibility then to take whatever directives they got and try to make something great out of it. And if you don't make something great out of it, (coughs) then you bear some of the responsibility. And by the way, contrary to what some YouTubers will tell you, Chris Stuckman did not say none of the responsibility of how bad Madam Web was, was the artist's fault. He never says that. He never, ever, ever says that in his video. I just want to be very clear about that. Because a lot of people running around about saying, Chris Stuckman said that it, like the writers and the director was none of their fault. No, he didn't. He did not say that. Just, just to be very, very clear about that. All right? When you get something like Madam Web, there's a lot of blame to go around. Right? It wasn't just the writers. And it wasn't just the director. And it wasn't just the idiot studio heads. And it wasn't just the performances. And it wasn't just the editing. And it wasn't, I mean, listen, when you get something that's as big as a train wreck as Madam Webb is, there's a lot of blame to go around. Can we all agree on that? There's a lot of blame to go around. But to take umbrage with the fact that Chris Stuckman changed his direction A while ago to say, listen, I'm not really a movie critic anymore. My YouTube channel is now more about movie celebration. I like to talk about the things that I love because I'm partially this and I'm partially trying to be a filmmaker at the same time. He was forthright about it. He was honest about it. So what the fuck is the problem? That being said, I disagree with a a number of the things that Chris said in his video about, you know, um, Studios shouldn't interfere in the, in the sacred creative process. I think that's bullshit. It's their movie. It's their money. They're not just paying the director's salary. They're paying for the whole damn movie. They're pay- paying hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie, and it's their house. And, and every movie in Hollywood history, with very, very, very few exceptions, very few exceptions, almost every film in Hollywood history has been made under those circumstances that the creators are brought in to bring a movie to life, but it's going to have to be under the direction of the studio because it's their movie. So all this outrage over what Chris Stuckman said, I think is complete nonsense and just a lot of attention whoring. Um, and I say that as somebody who completely hated Madam Webb and disagree with much of what Chris said. But I respect that Chris has that point of view. I don't think there's any nefarious reason why Chris has that point of view. And by the way, for some of the nitwits out there saying, Chris just doesn't want to step on anybody's toes. Guess what? Chris Stuckman is trying to become a filmmaker. And he just made, how long is this video? A 16 minute and nine second video shitting all over the studios. Right? Don't tell me Chris is just afraid to step on people's toes when he just spent 16 minutes and 9 seconds shitting all over the people that he hopes to be his future employer. Do you hear yourselves? Oh, Chris just didn't want to offend anybody. Chris just didn't want to step on anybody's toes. He was literally just shitting all over the people he hopes will pay him someday. Are you stupid? Don't tell me Chris just didn't want to offend him. If he didn't want to offend anybody, he would not be going after the people he wants to hire him someday. (laughs) <laughs> like I that's that like I just don't understand if people are crazy willfully blind or just really that dumb. Oh, Chris just uh, Chris just wants to be a filmmaker, so he didn't want to offend anybody. Yeah, Chris wants to be a filmmaker and he just spent 16 minutes taking nothing but shots at the type of people he wants to work for. He clearly was not trying to not step on anybody's toes. He was fucking stomping on balls going after the studios, who he hopes will finance his future movies. Listen, I disagree with Chris Stuckman about a lot of things. I disagree with half of his film reviews. At least a half of, I don't disagree with his reviews. I disagree with his general opinion about a lot of movies, maybe even half of them. A lot of movies he likes that I think are terrible. A lot of movies he thinks are terrible. I really like whatever. That's irrelevant. That doesn't matter. I've always appreciated him for his ability to express his opinion and break down his opinion and let me understand why he thinks what he thinks. And that helps me better understand what I think, whether it's the same or completely different from what he thinks. He was very clear a long time ago that his YouTube channel was taking a change in direction. He said ages ago, I'm not really a film critic anymore because I'm trying to do this other thing. Unless you think you know better how to do it, nobody's ever really done it before from the YouTube space. Not really, not to any significant degree. And Chris is trying to navigate this and figure it out. And it's just laughable to me when I see these people out there who think they know how to do it when they've never done shit. So, do I agree with Chris's video? No, not in the least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with Chris's video and the basic premise that the main heart of the problem is studio interference. I don't agree with that whatsoever. And I've already explained why I don't agree. That doesn't mean my opinion is more valid than Chris's or, or vice versa. I don't agree with him. But you know what I'm not? I'm not angry at Chris for expressing his thoughts on this. I'm not angry at Chris for deciding, you know what, from now on, and he said this ages ago, I just want my YouTube channel to be a place where I celebrate the things I love. I celebrate movies. I'm not here to bash on creatives. I'm here to be a place where I talk about the things I really like and do some editorial videos on issues I see in the world of filmmaking. I'm not mad at him for that. He's never been dishonest. He's always been very forthright. And he came out and did a video about studios imposing themselves on creatives. And there are people losing their shit as if he just said, Madam Webb should win an Oscar. It's profoundly idiotic. It's profoundly idiotic. And and I say this as somebody who disagreed with most of what Chris said, right? I disagree with most of what Chris said. So anyway, I brought all that up because yesterday somebody wrote in, before I had a chance to watch Chris's video, somebody wrote in on open mic the other day um, and said... You know, uh, John, a lot of there's a lot Chris Stuckman's getting a lot of backlash for for what he said about Madam Webb. And, and I hadn't seen the video yet. So I just said, well, that's kind of stupid. Who cares? I, I mean, if, if uh, film is subjective, some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. I think it was terrible. And I'm going to talk about why I think it's terrible. If he didn't think it was terrible, there's nothing wrong with that. We can disagree. And that's cool. No big deal. But I hadn't seen the video yet. So when I finally saw the video today, I thought, oh, my God, we got we got to we got to talk about this. Again, I'm not, I'm not centering anybody out. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to burn any one individual out there. It's just that I see all this stuff on YouTube as, as a trend, and I, f- I feel like I will address trends on YouTube without, you know, trying to throw anybody individually under the bus. Um, it's just, it, it's really dumb. It's really, really dumb. So anyway, guys, uh, there's that. Um, kind of my thoughts on it. I'm sure you guys have thoughts too. But, uh, for now, and if you have some thoughts about that, go ahead and feel free to share them in the super chats and and stuff like that. Um, I do still have the super chats open, although, uh, they won't be open for terribly much longer because we got a lot to still cover. And, uh, Let's start covering it, shall we? Let's get over to your questions, and we're going to start with the ones that people sent into the tip link, and then we'll get to the ones of you guys who are watching live, because I'm sure you guys are going to have some thoughts, opinions on the Chris Stuckman video and the the backlash uh, that it seemed to get, as ridiculous as it is. Uh, So let's get over to it, shall we? Uh, We're going to start off here with Madoween, who writes... I noticed Pepsi sponsored Madam Web. Pepsi slogan should be, is Pepsi okay? And in Madam Web's case, no, Pepsi is not okay. Yeah, I mean, the big final battle, uh, Chris pointed this out in his video, actually, the big final battle in Madam Web is literally a Pepsi sign falling on the bad guy. (laughs) It's like item number 7265 of everything that's wrong with Madam Web. Yeah, that was, that was a big thing. Hey, for those of you who didn't know that, I don't care that I spoiled it um, because this is a movie you shouldn't be going to see. But literally, uh, the big climactic battle is a Pepsi sign falls on the bad guy. Pepsi defeated the bad guy in Madam Web. It's so bad. All right, Jesse Roy writes, I saw Madam Web, and after it finished, I threw up. I, I, I understand that sometimes movies can cause a harsh physical reaction, Jesse. Uh, next up. Uh, Christian Gray wanted to utilize a blindfold and asked Anastasia. Of course, Dakota Johnson played Anastasia in Fifty Shades of Grey. Asked Anastasia what her preferred foreplay would be. Sony got a call the next day. Yep. A little bit of the old uh, film and bondage, if you will. Uh, Alec Andrew writes, Do you think we'll get a Beetlejuice trailer soon? I think so. People in the live chat. And you guys know off the top of your head when Beetlejuice is supposed to come out? Like it's not that far away, is it? And you guys in live chat know exactly when, uh, or even what month uh, Beetlejuice is supposed to be coming out? I think it's fairly. I think it's fairly soon. I think it is. And you guys know? Anyone? September sixth says Michael. And a bunch of other people also are saying September 6th. Thank you, Michael, for that. Appreciate that, man. So what are we in? February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. It's still seven months away. I'd say somewhere in the mid to late summer would be my guess. Mid to late summer. I think it's probably when we'll get it. Uh, Jesse Roy writes, <clears throat> what is the definition of an action movie star? You know, it's funny. I did an editorial a few years ago. I think I was still at AMC about about that exact question. Like, what is even an action star? isn't an action star just an actor who happens to be in a movie in a movie i don't know that there are action stars anymore like it used to be back in the 80s you obviously you had jean-claude van damme you had Sylvester Stallone you had Arnold Schwarzenegger um like when i was a kid watching the ninja movies i had Shokasagi. uh you had uh what was the one guy's name something speedman uh there was a couple uh Michael Dudicus was around there too. Like, so there used to be this era when, like, there were guys in movies who were specifically action movie. Like, that was what they did. You didn't see Jean Claude Van Damme doing *Sense and Sensibility*. You didn't see Arnold Schwarzenegger doing *Henry V*. Right? They were action actors. And they were looked at a little bit differently because they did action films. They were action stars. Bruce Willis is another one. Thank you, uh, Nigel in the, in the live chat there, uh, that Bruce Willis was, was a good example of an action star in that era today. (coughs) Oh, thank you, Richard. Jeff Speakman. That's right. From perfect weapon. That dude's hands were so fast. It was crazy, but yes, it was Jeff Speakman. Thank you. Um, Today, there are maybe two, maybe two, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham. Um, I I mean that's that's really maybe the the last two true action stars. And I so I don't know that it's really, I mean, some people saying Jason Momoa, but Jason Momoa can do comedy. I mean, he can do other things too. Um, Tom Cruise, again, he's an Academy Award nominated actor. It's, it, he's not just an action guy, right? Um, Keanu Reeves is more than just an action guy. Uh, Jackie Chan isn't as on the radar today. So I don't know that I would call Jackie like a today example of this. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, it changes over the years. And I don't know if we're ever going to get that era of the action star again. But we'll see. I sure hope we do. All right, HV3 writes, what did you think of Silent Night? I liked Silent Night, as a matter of fact. I recently watched it. I liked it. But I thought it was interesting to watch a movie with absolutely no dialogue. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize. See, I thought Silent Night. When I went in to go see Silent Night, and didn't John Woo direct that? Correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat. I I thought John Woo directed it. But when I went to go see it, what I just thought was was that the hero was just mute because he had, like, they showed in the trailer he got throat damage, right? And so I just thought the movie was, the Silent Night was just about him. But really, like, the entire movie was... I don't know if there was three lines spoken in the movie. Like, it's it's almost like a silent film in many ways. It was just done without, almost the entire movie was, almost the entire movie, was done without dialogue. And he told the whole story through visuals. And while the movie wasn't great, the movie wasn't great, I thought it was an Awesome experiment. Like how tell your whole narrative, tell your story, make us feel emotion, all that kind of stuff while only using the visual medium. No dialogue to propel the story. Just use visuals. I'll tell you what, the movie has its critics, but I don't know that many directors could have done a better job with that idea than John Woo did. I thought John Woo, like there's there's inherent limitations, right, to a movie without dialogue. And and a lot of people bash on John Woo. I didn't think Silent Night was very good. I thought Silent Night was pretty good, but I don't know that many directors could have even gotten close to what John Woo accomplished with that movie narratively without the use of dialogue. I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I, I enjoyed the, I didn't think it was great, but I had a I thought it was a very, very interesting film. All right, next up. Raymond Vrata writes, I read the news today. Oh boy. Variety says that Sam Mendes will film a Beatles biopic series with each film focusing on John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Yeah. For those of you who didn't hear about this, uh, the news is that Sean Mendes is going to direct four Beatles movies. One about John, one about Paul, one about George, and one about Ringo. Uh, And I say this that I know somewhere out there, Scott Mance is going to be screaming at me from a distance. I don't care about the Beatles. <gasps> You're not allowed to say that, John. I, I know. I don't care about the Beatles. I've, I've never been a Beatles guy. Um, so I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't care. Um, as far as that era of music, I'd be more of a Stones guy than uh, whatever, but, you know, I don't know. And Scott, man, whenever this comes up, it's good. Scott is like the friendliest, nicest guy in the world, but whenever some Beatles comes up and say, man, I don't care about the Beatles. The Beatles are overrated. Like, he looks like he's going to go into a murderous rage. If you can possibly imagine Scott Mance going into a murderous rage, may, say you don't like the Beatles that much. <laughs> that, that could trigger a murderous rage. All right, next up. We got La Ligue writes... Uh, John, ideas for Sony to improve its Spider-Verse are on point, but I think it's just too late to convince the audience to rush to the theater to see their live-action films. Uh, Venom arrives at the end of the trilogy, and I can't see a future with five Venom films. I find it hard to believe that the third one will have something interesting to offer, uh, so give it two sequels. I mean, <coughs> I mean, you can say that, but the reality is you don't know to watch. Look, I'll give you an example. I thought Rush Hour was terrible, Right. I did not like the first Rush Hour. This the uh, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker movie. Didn't like that movie at all. Like, not even remotely. It's not. I didn't think it was, like, the worst film ever made, either. You had uh, Chris Penn in it. By the way, R.I.P. Chris Penn. I thought I used to love him. But I, I I didn't think the movie was, like, garbage, but I really didn't like it. Like, I, I did not think it was good. So if you were to ask me at that time... John, do you think there's any chance for Rush Hour 2? I would have said no. But this is why we watched the movie. Because I love Rush Hour 2. I think Rush Hour 2 is great. Didn't hurt that you had Zhang Ziyi in that one either. God, I love Zhang Ziyi. Um, but I, I love Rush Hour 2. 3 was another piece of garbage. But 2 was great. So um, I would suggest... And I really like the Venom films. I mean, I like the, the first Venom more than the second Venom. But, I mean, it, it could be great. I mean, let's let's hang in there and see. But it takes time to rehabilitate, right? After Madam Web, let's face it, Craven's not going to do great at the box office. It, it never was going to do great at the box office, but now after Madam Web, it's really not going to do great. But winning cures everything. Right. If, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I'm just putting up a hypothesis, just a, a theoretical situation. If Craven is really good, maybe it doesn't make a lot of money, but it could mean more people might then come out and see Venom 3. If Venom Three is great, again, that's a big if. It's just a theoretical. But if Venom Three is great, it could mean that the next movie they do, if that gets a little bit more people, it's not about just the next movie. You got to be a little bit more, uh, look more long term than just the immediate. It look, be long sighted, not short sighted. You know what I'm saying? So, because <laughs> I think you're right, it's I think Craven's screwed. Craven is completely screwed. But can Craven be good enough that maybe the next Sony film isn't screwed? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not very hopeful after Madam Webb, but we'll see. All right, Raymond Vrata writes. What do you think of the Borderlands poster? Haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't played the game. Uh, but why do I want to watch this mayhem? Does it excite you or Matt? Listen, I like it because I'm a big fan of Eli Roth. I really like not that I love every single one of Eli Roth's movies, but I really like Eli Roth. I, I've I've gotten together with him on a number of occasions. I think he's really fun and, and really wonderful. There's this great time. I got to go to this bar in um in Hollywood that was right on Sunset Boulevard. I don't think the bar is there anymore. And I got to go and sit down with Eli Roth and Riza. <laughs> that was one of the coolest experiences of my career. I got to go and sit down with Eli Roth and RZA. And uh, they had worked on a film together at the time called uh, Man with the Iron Fists. Uh, but anyway, I, I've always liked Eli, Eli Roth. And they, I think, finished filming this movie like three years ago. This movie's been like coming forever so i think i was still at collider when when we first talked about this movie and it's finally images are finally starting to come out so uh we'll see if it turns out to be any good all right next up david maxwell sends in a 20 dollars tip thank you david for supporting us on that level man appreciate that who writes hey john and crew uh isn't it interesting to think about how if christopher nolan made oppenheimer with warner brothers rather than with universal then barbenheimer likely would not know It definitely wouldn't have happened. Uh, Love all of you and the show. Well, thank you so much. You know, listen, we were talking earlier today on the John Campbell Show about the decision Warner Brothers made. Jason Collar, the guy who was the CEO of Warner Brothers at the time, made historically the worst decision ever made in the movie business by saying, oh, all of Warner Brothers movies this year are going to go straight to HBO Max. And that pissed off all the filmmakers, including Christopher Nolan, who said, that's the final straw. I'm out. And he left Warner Brothers. And so his new movie, Oppenheimer, he found a new home for it at Universal. And and that's what happened. Now history is made. And now he's about to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Well done, Jason Kalar of formerly of Warner Brothers. Well done, moron. Um, so he's about to win Best Picture over there. But you're right. If that hadn't happened and Christopher Nolan had still been at Warner Brothers and had made Oppenheimer with Warner Brothers, Barbenheimer wouldn't have happened. I mean, Barbie still would have been made. Oppenheimer still would have been made, but they never would have opened on the same day, right? Warner Brothers wouldn't have opened both of their own movies on the same day. And the phenomenon we know as Barbenheimer would not have happened. You're absolutely right about that, Maxwell. And David, thanks a lot for sending in the support, man. We appreciate it. All right, next up, Gino N. writes, which was worse, Argyle or Madam Webb? Madam Webb. Um, I've seen Argyle and I'm seeing Madam Webb Saturday, so I avoided your spoiler review in today's show. Uh, this was the other day. Sorry if you answered this during that segment. Yeah, listen, Argyle was not good. A movie I was tremendously excited for because I love Matthew Vaughn. Obviously, I love Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, Brian Cranston. Samuel Jack, I mean I I was really excited for that movie and it's really not good. But that's the thing about Argyle. It's not good. It's not trash. It's not a dumpster fire. Madam Webb, while not the worst film in cinematic history. I can name 5 that were worse off the top of my head, but Madam Webb is trash. That's just my own opinion, my own subjective opinion, but you're asking me. Madam Webb is a dumpster fire and madam Webb is trash. Uh, I would watch Argyle 50 more times before I'd watch madam Webb again. Although I'm curious to watch madam Webb again, just to find all the things I missed in it. Uh, anyway, that's just me. All right. Garden variety, Vagabond writes, John, you said actors always know the film they are in bill Murray in Garfield. Need I say more? I don't know the reference. Are you saying that bill Murray didn't know he was doing a Garfield movie? Is bill Murray that dumb? Is that Did that really happen? Is that a real thing? Bill Murray literally was just going into a sound booth and reading lines, and he didn't know it was for a Garfield movie? If so, that's a story I've never heard before. That would be, be interesting. Um, I did not... Uh, I've never heard that before. All right. Next up. Uh, Garden Variety also writes, are you planning to see Lisa Frankenstein? Your thoughts? Yes. I was not planning on seeing it, because you guys know that I don't... Um, is... Let me, let me address this really quick. Yu-Gi-Oh! Radio is wrong. YGO Radio says, John, the problem with Chris Stuckman's Madam Web video is that he's a film reviewer who's afraid to critique film. No, it's that's not what it is. He's, he, look, he said he's no longer a film critic. He said that ages ago. I'm no longer a film critic. My YouTube channel is about celebrating film. So you need to catch up. We'll wait. Come on. Catch up. Come on. Come on. Get over here. 2019 was a long time ago. Get on over here. Get caught up to the present day. Um, and uh, And yeah, so no, that's the problem. People were treating it like he's a film critic who's just afraid to critique. No, he's. he said he's not really a film critic anymore. That's not what his YouTube channel is anymore. Hasn't been for a couple of years. He's, he's there specifically just to celebrate movies he loves. And I see no problem with that. If that's what he wants to do, there's nothing wrong with that. So anyway, uh, there you go. Yeah, and yeah, Stuckman's reviewed films for years and years and years and years. The positives and the negatives. But he said he changed directions. My my channel is now about celebrating stuff I really like in movies. And that's what he wanted his channel to be about. And he was honest about it. And he was forthright about it. And he told everybody that's what his channel was now. So everybody else has just got to get over it. Uh, All right. Uh, next up, and my plan is seeing Lisa Frankenstein. Yes, I wasn't planning on seeing it because I, I a couple of years ago, I gave myself permission that I don't have to see every movie anymore. I've been doing this for twenty years. If there's movies out there I really don't want to watch, and don't look like they're appealing to me, and I'm not morbidly curious about them, then I don't watch every movie anymore. And Lisa Frankenstein, quite frankly, did not look good to me. But I've been hearing from a lot of you guys that it's actually pretty good. Um, and, uh, Chris Carr saw it and she said she really quite liked it. So yes, now look, I got my birthday weekend coming Thursday. I'm seeing the Leafs play Friday. I'm seeing you two at the sphere Saturday. We're going to go see bad bunny and Sunday I'm seeing Dune too, but sometime next week, I'm going to go see Lisa Frankenstein. Cause enough of you guys convinced me that I should. All right. Next up. Um, let's see. Anonymous writes, was set up on a blind date uh, yesterday and and was stood up. That sucks, man. Uh, if that wasn't crappy enough, I walked over to my local theater to try to salvage my night and ended up watching Madam Web, unaware of the reviews it got. Bruised ego aside, this movie sucks. Yeah, and now, to make matters worse, you're always going to associate Madam Web with being stood up. <laughs> that's, what, that's what makes it even worse. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, Uh, Do you feel that names like He-Man, She-Ra, and Skeletor will work in 2024 on the big screen? Yes. Uh, Then the haircut. No, the haircut will have to change. I just don't see new viewers uh, will buy in, just those who grew up with it. If I had never heard of the IP before, I never would see it. So here's the thing, though. Like, He-Man, even people who have never, ever watched the cartoon, people have heard of He-Man. And the masters of the universe. Netflix has been doing new animated He-Mans. Netflix did an animated She-Ra. Whether they're good or bad, that's up to the eye of the beholder, but that's not really the point. Um, I think even without those, though, everybody knows He-Man, right? Whether they saw it or not. Just like people who've never seen Star Wars know who Darth Vader is, right? People who've never seen Star Wars absolutely know who Darth Vader is. I'm not saying He-Man is as well-known as Darth Vader, but the principle is there. And because it's such a well-known um, a completely well-known IP, his name is He-Man. Yeah, you can keep that name. That works. Skeletor, a little cheesy. It's a little on the nose. He's a skeleton. Skeletor. <laughs> sure, that's fine. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. I do think they need to change his haircut. No, John, his haircut's No, it doesn't. His haircut does not need to be that. He needs to be big and muscular. His haircut does not need to be that. So I think they will adjust the haircut. All right, next up if they ever make the movie, and I'm I'm not convinced that they will, no matter who they announce is going to do it. Garden Variety also says, it's such a bummer when a movie that I'm looking forward to gets panned badly. I watch much less in the theaters than I used to, so when that number gets knocked off my list due to its ratings, uh, there's much fewer that get added due to good reviews. I mean, (laughs) but, I mean, yeah, it sucks when that happens. And inevitably, I'm sure somebody's right now typing in the live chat You know, don't listen to what other people say. Just go to see whatever you want to see. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't believe in that mentality. Just go watch everything. Movies are an investment of time and money. Time, you never get back. And money, it's hard to get back. So movies are an investment of time and money. And whenever, if you're a smart consumer, whenever you're about to make an investment of money, you do a little bit of research into it. It's like, yeah, the package looks nice and their commercials look great, but it's their job to make their product look good and to make the package look good. Should I actually go to Best Buy or should I actually go to uh, whatever store, go to the mall and actually buy that product before I invest my time to go down there and do it, before I invest my money in ordering it, I'm going to do a little research, find out what other people are saying about it. You know, I'm not going to buy a new iPad just because Apple says it's great. I'm going to go to Marquise Brownlee (MKBHD) and I'm going to go to Linus and I'm going to go to to uh, Unbox Therapy and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a bunch of tech YouTubers to hear people who are experienced in in dealing with tech, and I'm going to hear their opinions. I'm not going to base my decision on what their opinions are, but I'm going to make it a part of my thought process and help help me make my decision. Going to a movie is an investment of time and money just as much as any other thing you spend your money or time on. And if you just are going to let the studio and their sales pitch be the only thing that determines whether you go to see a movie, I don't think that's being a wise consumer, to be frank with you. It's the studio's job to make a big, bright, beautiful package. And, ooh, look at our trailers. Because their trailers are commercials. Their trailers are specifically made to entice you to give them your money. And so, yes, make trailers a part of your decision-making process, but I really encourage people, if you're going to invest your time and money, spend a little bit of time and hear what other people have to say. And then then make your decision. Take all of that into consideration. Take the trailers into consideration. Take whether or not you like the actors into consideration. Take what other people are saying about it into consideration. And then make an informed decision. And maybe it'll be a good decision. Maybe it'll be a bad decision. But at least it was an informed decision. (coughs) You never get your time back. So be careful how you spend it. Don't go see Madam Web. All right. uh, Next up. Garden Wrighty also writes, I'll probably see Argyle and Madam Webb on, st- on a streaming service at some point. Don't get me wrong, it's Marvel and Cavill. Okay, Dua Lipa. Now listen, I guess I'm not the world's biggest Dua Lipa fan. I'm not going to pretend that I am. <laughs> oh my God. She's hot. <laughs> I mean, she's 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 pretty sexy in this movie. She's not in a ton of the movie, but I, I she, she's she's pretty hot. She's pretty sexy. <laughs> All right, next up. Uh, Caleb Jacobs writes, how surreal, John. The Rock is the bad guy and Triple H is the good guy now in WWE. Hey, listen, ba- wrestlers always swing between baby face and heel. Uh, fun fact, Riley Keough from, Dis- from Daisy Jones and the Six is Elvis Presley's granddaughter, a.k.a. Lisa Presley's daughter. I didn't know that. I didn't realize. Man, That that's a family that's been... Not as bad as the Kennedys, but that, the Presley family is one that's really been marked by a lot of tragedy, hasn't it? That's really I didn't realize that, Caleb. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up. Uh, Tristan Thorpe writes, I got to admit, I'm more looking forward to Fantastic Four than anything else in the MCU because I yearn for a good Fantastic Four movie because at least we had a damn good solid run with the X-Men movies. Yeah, listen, I, I really enjoyed the X-Men movies. Obviously, there were a couple that were really bad. No argument from me, but overall, I really liked, um, despite a couple of missteps, I really liked the Fox X-Men run, X-Men one, X-Men two, uh, obviously Logan first class days of future past. Uh, and, and then of course, yeah, you got X-Men three X-Men three, which by the way is not a train wreck, right? It's not one of the good ones. I'm not saying it is, but X-Men three wasn't a total train wreck. you know, origins is a train wreck, but Uh, Let's not forget about Logan. Yeah, I liked I liked the X-Men thing. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that uh, Fantastic Four will be really good. Listen, they've got great producers. They've got good writer. They got a really good director. There's a lot to be optimistic about. Still might be bad, but at least it's got some things working for it. right, Garden Variety again, who writes, John, Saturday Night Live already had a Dune popcorn bucket skit. Yes, they did. Uh, Two weeks ago, 1.2 million views. Eating popcorn out of my bucket. Then I'll take it home and blanket. Yep. (laughs) Yep. They certainly did. I mean, come on. They had to know when they designed that thing what everybody would think. Garden Variety Whites again. Uh, you were mentioning someone fired from wrestling and people expecting a return. Norm McDonald was the host of Saturday Night Live after only being fired for a year, a year and a half earlier. His monologue was assuring us that he isn't that much better. The show just sucks more now. <laughs> oh, man, I miss Norm McDonald. True story. Uh, do you guys remember Norm McDonald for, for a very short I think it only lasted one season, <clears throat> but he had his own late night sports show. It was like, it was, but it was comedy. Like it was a comedy show, but instead of like weekend update on Saturday Night Live, it was specifically about sports and all of the comedy was surrounding sports. Ann and I, because I love Norm MacDonald, Ann and I went to a live taping of it. We actually got tickets and went, we were at the live taping of one of the shows. That dude was so funny. So, So, oh God, I miss Norm MacDonald. He was so great. All right, Matthew Grant writes, I just stumbled across the new trailer for Netflix's Damsel um, uh, with Millie Bobby Brown and goodness Robin Wright and Angela Bassett and it looks awesome. Um, Or goddesses Robin Wright and it looks awesome. Millie is the damsel in distress trying to survive being sacrificed to a dragon's pit. Yeah, I heard that came out today. I haven't watched it yet myself. Haven't seen it yet myself. But I've I've heard good things about it. That the trailer was good. I have have no idea if the... uh, um, movie itself is going to be all that good or not, but um, here's hoping it is. I'll, I'll go check it out. I like Millie Bobby Brown. I I wasn't a huge fan of the Anola Holmes movies, to be honest with you. Even though my even though Henry Cavill is in it, I thought Henry Cavill was great. Um, but I I wasn't. A lot of people love the Anola Holmes thing. I I didn't have a I didn't hate it. I didn't hate Anola Holmes. I just I just didn't think it was all that. All that good, but uh, whatever. All right, (laughs) next up. We've got Patrick, who writes one of two. Hey, John, I just watched the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer, and I noticed something I've not heard you talk about in the show. Uh, Notice in the trailer, uh, Freya Allen's character is the only human wearing real clothes. A couple of people brought that up in the live chat part of the John Campion show earlier in the week. Um, Let's see heard her talk. I bet she's the only human that can, and her character is actually the equivalent to Charlton Heston's character in the original Apes movie, at least from an origin standpoint. What do you think? Thanks for all that you do. Well, yeah, somebody else brought that up. One of our viewers brought that up in the live chat on the show earlier in the week, or or late last week, I can't remember which. And I said, I think there's one of two options here. Either she is analogous to the Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to the Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston is very different from Charlie scene. Um, she's a comparison to the Charlton Heston character. Or this is what I kind of think. Maybe she's more comparable to Caesar in the first um, Planet of the apes movie with James Franco. Cause you know, in that world monkeys are not a lot smart. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's this one who really is. And I wonder if she's that, but from the humans, like in this world now, the humans are all dumb until this one girl comes along who's actually kind of smart. I mean, I I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, but it's definitely going to be a point in the film, no doubt about that. All right. Somebody, Rachel Knight online is saying, now I want to see Charlie Sheen planted the apes movie. Yeah, that would be a very different movie. All right. The Tick writes, Return of the King, is as close to perfect a movie can get. Eh, well. Uh, but if Peter Jackson just kept these lines in it, uh, went, then it would have been perfect. My friends, you bow to no one, except for you, Pippin. Piss off. You were useless and made things worse all the time. Um, <coughs> here's the funny thing about uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. So many people forget today. People rewrite history and they all forget That when Peter Jackson, when the first Fellowship of the Ring came out, amongst all the praise and accolades the movie got, there was a very vocal groups of people out there who said that his movie was trash because where the F is Tom Bombadil, don't you know... That when, you know, that uh, Arwen wasn't there in that scene and you made Arwen a big part of that scene when in the book she's not even supposed to be there and, like, were really, really pissed off. Said the movie's garbage, it's right off because they didn't follow the book. Well, there it's one of the greatest... Some people think it's the greatest trilogy of all time. It's one of the greatest trilogies of all time in the cinemas. And part of the reason is Because Peter Jackson and Newline decided to make some changes that would make for a better movie, right? Wouldn't necessarily make for a better book, but it made for a better movie. That's why today, when when people get all uppity about meow, 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 in the book, they did this and they didn't do that. So this movie sucks. It's like mm. stop stop basing your judgments on how close they follow the source material. Base your judgment and judge a movie on its own merits. Is it good? Lord of the Rings was awesome. But yeah, it's just kind of funny when I when I think back to that. Okay, <clears throat> last question, then we're going to take a quick little break here uh, so I can refill my, uh, refill my drink. The Dumb of All Fears writes, I'm torn. I was going to ask if Wong cameos in Deadpool 3. Wong has been a constant high point in the MCU since Endgame. He really has been. I love Wong. Uh, but should be used sparingly and appropriately. But on the other hand, Wong absolutely rules and is the true Marvel Messiah. Listen, Wong is kind of the I don't know if this is true but it sort of feels like Wong is kind of the new Nick Fury. That Wong as, you know, the um as the master of the mystic arts and all that kind of stuff, as the sorcerer supreme, <coughs> Wong is kind of like becoming that thread that ties everything together. You know, he shows up in Shang-Chi, he's hilarious in Shang-Chi. Shows up in She-Hulk. One of the few redeeming things about that She-Hulk show was Wong. Wong, and what was the girl's name? Something with two Y's, but not where you think. What was what was what was the girl's name? I can't. It wasn't Brittany. It was uh, the one who called Madison, with the Y, but not where you think. Anyway, I don't know why, because She-Hulk was terrible. She-Hulk was terrible, but. And when that Madison character first popped up, I thought, oh my God, this is so painful. But by the time the show was over, I'm like, I can watch an entire series of just Wong or Wongers. Wong and Madison. I don't know why. I don't know why. I could watch an entire show of that. I I would I would be hooked on that. Um anyway, yeah. I could see Wong popping up in Deadpool 3. I haven't heard that he would be. I haven't, I have no reason to believe that he would be. But I could totally see it. I could see it happening. All right. <coughs> Listen, guys. We'll get back to it here in just a second. But I'm going to give you guys a chance to run and use the bathroom, take a bit of a break. We've been going for uh, oh, we've been going for an hour and fifteen minutes already. So if you want to run, take a break. Uh, talk to each talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to refill my drink, and we're going to take a quick second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of Open Mic, my mobile service provider. Speaking of Deadpool, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video... Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's MintMobile.com/Campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at MintMobile.com/Campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See MintMobile for details. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's episode of Open Mic. Okay, guys, let's get back over to the questions here, shall we? We're going to pick up things with Nick, who writes, "Hey John, according to the IMDb website, they have uh, Emma Corrin listed as playing Cassandra Nova." In Deadpool and Wolverine. Okay, here's the thing. (laughs) That might might be true. It might be. But this is important to understand about IMDb. A lot of people can go in and change IMDb. Now, IMDb is 100% rock-solid reliable for movies that have already come out. Like movies that have come out and are now in our rearview mirror. IMDb, almost 100% accuracy. Not 100%, but almost 100% accuracy often stuff on IMDb with movies that have not yet come out will later be changed or off a little bit or wrong. I, I'm, again, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying take it with a grain of salt. Don't go to the bank with it until after the movie comes out. That, that, that's all I'm saying. I'm. It may very well be true. I'm just saying take it with a little bit of a grain of salt until the movie comes out because IMDb will sometimes be wrong more often um, then after a movie comes out, uh, before a movie comes out. All right. Murray Reich writes saw Lisa Frankenstein. And I thought it was charming. Everybody is saying is actually pretty good. Uh, a hard PG 13, um, has a Tim Burton, Edward Scissorhands ring to it. The trailer certainly made it feel that way. I always loved Catherine Newton, uh, in supernatural me too. That's the only thing that appealed to me about that movie was that Catherine Newton's in it. Uh, she was great in this too. An original film. Nobody went to see. I think it will be a cult classic. Yeah. I, again, Murray, I am one of those guys who took a pass on it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I didn't think the trailer was very good. Um, not interested, but I've had a lot of people like you tell me it's actually pretty good. And now I think next week I'm going to have to take myself out to go see it because it's sounding really good. All right. Murray also writes, also, I saw The Beekeeper, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, we've seen these movies before, but Jason Statham was once again great. He doesn't really have any character growth, Terminator-like, but seeing him take down people who did shitty things with worth seeing. I finally got around to watching Beekeeper, and I remain a Jason Statham fan. Jason Statham will never be accused of being one of the world's great thespians, but I can watch him play that role all day. I can watch him play that role all day. Um, (laughs) I think he's terrific in it. And there's something viscerally very satisfying about watching the hero. The same is true in Reacher. There's something very viscerally satisfying about watching the hero kick the living shit out of really bad people, right? There's something great about that. And by the way, I have a little bit of a bias with Jason Statham because the very, very first, I'm going to see if I can find it. Give Give me a second here to see if I can find it. The very first um, ce- celebrity interview I ever did, um, and it was let me see, I'm bringing it up here, was back when I did the movie blog. <clears throat> it was my that was my very first website, the movie blog. That's how I got started twenty years ago, and Jason Statham was the first celebrity guy to do an interview on my little stupid website. And it was for Crank. And actually, this is part of the reason why I met my wife Ann, because through this, I became friends with the directors of Crank, uh, Mark of um, Taylor and Neveldine. And uh, Mark and Brian were wonderful to me. And then they, I later helped them out with one of their future movies. And then it was through an after party that I was helping them out with. For one of their movies that Anne attended, because she was a fan of Milo Ventimiglia, and met Viol- Milo Ventimiglia invited some members of his fan club to come to this after party, and I was there, and that is the night Anne and I met. Partially because of Jason Statham, more because of Mark Dean and Brian Taylor, uh, also very, very because of Milo Ventimiglia that I that I met my wife Anne. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, Jason was was the first guy to do an interview on my piddly little website, the movie blog. And I will always be grateful to him for that. All right. Uh, Next up, by the way, when was that interview was? Oh my God. Oh my God. This interview was 17 years ago. 17 years ago. It's when, I did, it's when that interview happened. Woo, I told you I've been doing this for a long time. All right, <clears throat> next up. Uh, Narf writes, uh, have you seen the trailer directed by Kobe uh, uh I won't say the name of it, but it's coming out next month. Interesting premise, not sure who it's marketed for. I, again, unless I know the name of the movie, I, I really can't help you out on that, Marnarf. So I cannot say whether I saw the trailer or I didn't. All right. Uh, Jake Gehring writes, John. I don't know much. I don't know how much you are into anime. Honestly, not that much. Uh, but a show you really should check out is Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, truly spectacular. Also, we are less than a week away from AMC's the one, the ones who live with the return of both Rick Grimes, and uh, I can't remember the name of the girl in the show. <clears throat> I tapped out of all things Walking Dead. I think in season five or six of Walking Dead. Yeah, I think it was around season five or six of Walking Dead that I tapped out. It's just it was just the same to me now. Um, so I'm not I'm not really interested in the return of Rick. To be honest, uh, I didn't watch any of the fear the Walking Dead show. And then there was another one that they did with uh, who's the guy with the baseball bat named loose. Luc- I can remember the name of the bat Lucille. But what was the character's name again in the live chat? <clears throat> Somebody's saying I tapped out when Glenn died. I was fine with that because I think it's ballsy when when movies or or TV, and by the way, Negan was his name. Thank you, uh, Max Only. Um, I think it's ballsy when showrunners will kill off a significant character, especially if it has a narrative purpose. Like the TV show, I mean, yeah, we could have met Negan as the next bad guy, right? Like, yeah, we could have met the next bad guy. But have the bad the new bad guy show up and make the first thing he, d- he does is kill one of the beloved characters. <sighs> ballsy. I thought that was ballsy. And I say that as somebody who really liked the Glenn character. I really liked the Glenn character, but I thought my favorite character on Sons of Anarchy was Opie. And I thought it was really ballsy and it really just drove the narrative of the show and made me feel more emotionally convicted about when they killed off Opie, even though he's my favorite character right? So I thought it was kind of ballsy that they did that. Anyway, next up, uh, we got Amin who writes, I was watching the BAFTAs and partway through, I saw the winners were being announced early online. Then I learned that the ceremony actually happened several hours earlier. So dumb. It ruined the surprise. I don't know. They just became super irrelevant to me. Well, here's the thing, Amin. I don't know where you live, but you got to understand that the BAFTAs take place in the UK which is many hours' time difference from us. So you were not going to get a live broadcast um, of it here. They were going to, you know, it was going to be tape delayed. It was going to be time delayed, right? There's nothing they could do about that unless, I don't know what time it would have been, but unless you wanted to get up and watch it in three in the morning. But yeah, there was nothing they could do about that. (laughs) That's just part of the reality uh, of the fact that it was, you know, in another part of the world. All right, Yasmar writes, the Amazon guy hyping up Casey's powers uh, for her, only for her to astral project and help, oh, you mean Amazon, like the guy who lived in the jungles of Peru. I thought you meant like, The guy who works at Amazon, like two-day free shipping. Okay, the Amazon guy hyping up Casey's powers, only for her to astral project and help the other spider girls stand up, and she does this right in the middle of a battlefield, so the villain just walks up and punches her out of it. An amazing series of events, dude. Look, I already admitted today on the John Campion Show and on this broadcast that I spend too much time bitching and whining and complaining about Madam Webb. So don't get me going again, okay? I've already admitted I spent too much time crying about Madam Webb. Don't get me going, all right? There's so much wrong with that movie, man. <laughs> King Daddy Goat in the live chat is saying, an Amazon Prime guy would have been better. Yep, Amazon Prime guy or even a uh, delivery guy uh, probably would have ended up <laughs> being better, <coughs> pardon me, in the show. All right, next up. Uh, We've got Riley who writes, I know I'm late, but here's my top 10 of 2023. Uh, Number 10, Bottoms. Number 9, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Number 8, John Wick Chapter 4. Number 7, Saltburn. I didn't like Saltburn as much as most people did. Really weird because it's it's actually my kind of movie, but I didn't love it. But whatever. Uh, Number 6, American Fiction. So good. Number 5, Poor Things. So good. Number 4, Oppenheimer. So good. Uh, Number three, Talk to Me. Interesting. Number two, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number one, The Iron Claw. Yeah, I really liked Iron Claw. Iron Claw didn't make it into my top 10 personally, but I really, really liked that movie. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse still ended up as my number one film of the year. I really like your list, Riley. Well done. All right. Uh, Tack writes, Watch The Godfather 1 and 2 for the first time this weekend. Excellent. Lovely epics with amazing characters and peak cinematography. Didn't expect such a mostly uh, idealistic take on the Mafia, given how Scorsese films always show how it wasn't worth it. 10 out of 10 classic. I I mean, what can you say about The Godfather that hasn't been said, right? The Godfather, there are many, many cinephiles in the world who believe The Godfather is singularly the greatest film of all time. There are also a lot of other cinephiles who believe The Godfather too is the greatest cinema achievement of all time. Uh, The Godfather is just uh, gold standard, man. Just a gold standard. It's so good. And I love when people watch The Godfather for the first time and then instantly realizing, oh, my God this movie I love was totally influenced by Godfather and this movie I loved is totally influenced by the Godfather and this movie 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 and 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 like suddenly realizing like, Oh my God, half of the cinema that I've loved my whole life was clearly all influenced by Godfather. Right. It's amazing to see. It's just so good. All right. Uh, Next up future millionaire writes, Hey John, just rewatched Godzilla versus Kong. And it had me thinking who did the end fight sequence better? Godzilla and Kong versus Mechagodzilla, or Rexy and Blue versus the Indominus Rex. Both were epic, in my opinion. Oh, I thought the Godzilla-Kong and Mechagodzilla fight was much better. I like the fight in uh, Jurassic World. <clears throat> I like that that battle at the end. But I yeah, Godzilla-Kong, Mechagodzilla, the scale of it, all that kind of stuff. I would give it to that one, future millionaire. I would give it to that one pretty easy. But there's an argument to be made for both, I guess. All right, Katniss's Cat writes... Um in conversations with my friends I tell them it's theoretically possible that sometime in the near future another Star Wars feature film might be released I try to be optimistic Well listen they say they've got a couple coming they they say they've got a couple coming John Favreau's Mandalorian movie is the next one up when did they say that was going to come out 2026? Anybody remember? I can't remember if they said the Mandalorian movie was going to come out in 2026 or 2025. It's probably, it's probably 2026. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's coming. So they say there's been an awful lot of movies. Uh, Dylan Fernando saying December 2026. Thank you. That does sound right. Um, there have been an awful lot of movies, Star Wars movies that they've announced, and then just suddenly mysteriously got scrapped. But you know what? I actually do think this John Favreau movie's going to happen, this Mandalorian movie. I th- I think it's going to happen. I just hope that they're not just using this to promote Disney Plus. Like I hope they treat this movie as a movie, as a true feature film, and they give it the love and respect of a true feature motion picture and aren't just using it as a cheap gimmick to get people's attention to Disney+. You want to see the continuing adventures of Mando and Grogu? Go sign up for Disney+. And then at the end of the movie, after the credits, instead of a post credit scene, they run a big Disney Plus ad. That will piss me off so bad if they do that. But I'm choosing to be optimistic. I'm choosing to be Positive. And trust that they're not going to do that, I hope. All right. Next up. Gobbledygook writes, Personally, I believe that celebrities and movie studios should not make public comments slash social media posts about political affairs. Likewise for politicians, everyone is entitled to free speech, but words can have consequences. I disagree with that. Because if actors shouldn't be allowed to express political opinions then plumbers shouldn't be allowed to express political opinions. Then accountants shouldn't be allowed to express political opinions. Then people who work at McDonald's shouldn't be allowed to express political opinions. Um, But everyone, whether you're an actor, a plumber, an accountant, or somebody who works at McDonald's, everybody is also has to understand that when you express an opinion about anything— you have to understand there, there could be consequences from people who don't agree with you. Free speech means the government can't stop you from expressing your opinion, but it doesn't mean other people can't disassociate themselves from you if they don't like what you're saying, right? For example, I'm going to give you an example, right? This is a perfectly pound-for-pound pound true example. You would not believe the amount of shit I took uh, from people because I said. Now, I didn't love The Last Skywalker, but I think I liked it. There are parts I loved. There are parts I hated. But overall, yeah, I I, I thought better of The Last um, the Last Jedi. Sorry, not The Rise, the Rise of Skywalker is garbage. Uh, sorry, The Last Jedi. Uh, the, the, uh, yeah, The Last Jedi. That's the second one. There are parts I loved. There are parts I hated. Overall, I, I don't think... I personally didn't find it to be as bad as a lot of other people do. I think overall I kind of enjoyed it. There are certain things about it. I think the things I liked about it outweighed the things I disliked about it for me personally. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker I completely hated. But... So... When the Last Jedi came out, <clears throat> um, I I did this thing. I got out and I and I expressed my opinion about something. Hey, I saw the 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 uh, the Last Jedi, and uh, I know there were a bunch of people that hated it, but I didn't. I didn't hate it. There, I hated parts, but some parts I I really loved, and some parts I hated. But overall, I think I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. Not as much as the Force Awakens. Certainly not as much as Rogue One, which I loved. Uh, But yeah, I liked it. Okay. So I said that, right? But here's the thing that (laughs) I am very cognitive of. The thing that I'm very aware of is that by doing what I do, I'm expressing opinions. That's what my job is. My job is expressing honest opinions and then try to articulate why I have those opinions. It's not my job to convince other people to agree with me, and it's not my job to say things other people agree with. My job is to give my opinion and then try to articulate why I feel that way, right? That's my job. No more, no less. But just like politics, it's just me expressing an opinion. But as somebody who does it on YouTube for a living, I have to be aware that by expressing my opinion. There are people out there that if they don't have the same opinion as me, they're going to attack me. And I had a number of like YouTube videos made about how I'm such an idiot because I liked a movie more than somebody else did. And, and and yeah, I, I took a lot of shit on social media and and, and on like on my comment section and people made videos about me. It's like, John Campy is such a shill. I mean, I don't know if they think that's going to bother me because I've been doing this for 20 years. I've seen people like that come and go 50 times over. But, I mean, I have to be aware, right? I need to be aware that by coming online and expressing an opinion that... I am subject to backlash against that opinion. And other people are are other people are free to express their disagreement with my opinion. Other people are free to <clears throat> you know make videos about how oh John K is just stupid. Well, I mean you it's your right to do that if you want. I mean if you think I'm so important that you need to spend what little time you have left to live on this earth to make videos about me, really? I live in your head that much? Okay. Do whatever makes you happy. The point is, when I hire new staff, whether I was at AMC or whether I was at Collider or even just doing the John Campbell show, one of the first things I do when somebody new gets hired is I sit down with them and I express, guy, listen, you need to be aware of this. You're now in a realm here where you're going to be expressing your opinion on the internet where a lot of people are going to hear it. Some people are going to like your opinion. Some people aren't going to like your opinion. Now, some of the people who dislike your opinion are going to be cool with it. Say, yeah, I don't like your opinion. We disagree, but that's cool, right? Those are intelligent people. But then there are some non-intelligent people that are going to feel like, you said something I disagree with. That means you're attacking me. And and they're going to get angry and you're going to get people responding to you, right? I have to be aware of that. And if you're going to do what I do, you, you've you got to be aware of that too. That's why it doesn't bother me because I, I'm aware of it. That's what's going to happen. Every time I say an opinion, I'm going to get somebody out there, whether it's just a couple of people, whether it's a lot of people that aren't going to like what I said, and they're going to backlash against me. It's part of the job. It's part of the job. It's not a good part of the job, but it's a part of the job actors or studios are like plumbers they're like accountants and they're like people they're just like people who work at McDonald's they're they are citizens who live in this country and if they have an opinion about something they are free to say it but what i would say to a studio and to an actor or anybody else an accountant a plumber somebody who works at McDonald's <clears throat> is when you express your opinion other people may not or may react to your opinion and decide they do or don't like you based on your opinion. May decide they do or do not want to be associated with you due to your opinion. May or may not decide they do or don't want to work with you as a result of your opinion. You're free to say your opinion, you just got to be prepared that your opinion may bring consequences. Not from the government because we have freedom of speech, the government can't impede your your freedom of speech. But other people have the choice to react to it. So whether you're a YouTuber talking about opinions about movies, whether you're an actor or an accountant giving opinions about political issues in our day. By the way, there's a lot of things that are not political issues. They're human rights issues. And people try to pretend they're political issues to cover their own bias and bigotry and hatred. But that's a side point. <clears throat> um, but listen, everybody should have a right to say their opinion. But you got to be prepared that other people have a right to react to your opinion. It's that simple. You know, I, I would have people write to me, and I know I'm, go- I'm going off in a bit of a di- diatribe, but I would always have people write to me. Like, some of my viewers would write to me and say, John, did you know that this YouTube channel is saying this stuff about you? You should contact YouTube and, and have a content strike put against that channel and try to get them banned. I'm like, why? They They have a right to do that. I don't care let them. I mean, I'm not happy about it. Of course not, but I don't care. I mean, they have a right to do that. And if, if I live in there again, if they think I'm so important that it's important that they talk about me, okay, I feel bad for them, but all right, let them, let them do it. It's, It's just, it's just part of it. So that's a long winded way, gobbledygook of me saying that Listen, uh, celebrities and all that kind of stuff have every, cause if they're not allowed to give, if, if they shouldn't give their political opinions, you shouldn't give your political opinions. And I don't want to live in that world. Again, actors and you just have to be ready that if you want to speak out your political opinions, then you got to be ready that there could be a reactions to your political opinions. And that's, it, it's it's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. So that's kind of my thought on that. Anyway, waste enough time on that. <clears throat> Next up. Milo Murphy writes, Why is Sony making movies about El Muerto and Hustler, who have a combined total of 18 comic appearance, instead of Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Electro, Vulture, Mysterio, or even Sandman? Does it matter? I mean, that, that, that's what would be my reaction to that, Milo, is, does it matter? If you make a good movie, you make a good movie, right? Almost nobody in the average movie-going audience had ever heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Hardly anybody in the average movie going on had ever heard of Guardians of the Galaxy, but they made a great movie. Everybody's heard of Fantastic Four, but they made a crappy movie. So it didn't matter. Right. They had this big name, Fantastic Four, the original family of comic book superheroes. And it sucked and then it sucked again and then it sucked again. Having a little unknown name didn't stop Guardians from being great. Having a super popular name like Fantastic Four didn't help it be anything but trash. So, to me, it doesn't really matter whether they make El Muerto, and I don't think they're ever going to actually make it. They say they are, but I don't believe they will. But it doesn't matter if you make an El Muerto movie or a Hypno Hustler or a Doc Ock or an Electro. All that matters is if you're going to make a good movie or not. That's it. If you make good movies, things will go well. If you make crappy movies, things will not go so well. So yeah. So that's just kind of my take on that, Milo. Thanks for sharing, man. I appreciate you, dude. All right. Next up, we got Josh H who writes, Hey, John, been watching since the AMC closet days. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate that. And while I don't always agree with you, you shouldn't always agree with me. What's the point of being film fans together? If we always agree, the fun part about being film fans is that we have is that we disagree on things that way we can have discourse together. Anyway, I don't always agree with you. I have always appreciated and enjoyed your honesty and sincerity in your approach. You mentioned a town hall for members the other day. Is that still happening? Yes. So for those of you who don't know, I mentioned this earlier today on the John campus show too. <clears throat> um, We have channel members, and thank you to all of you guys who are channel members and being core support for our channel. We appreciate you guys very much. Um, Every once in a while, we will have town hall meetings for our channel members, where they will be the first to know about announcements that we have, some changes that are coming. And we have some changes coming. Um, It's a big change. But it's not a change that's really going to affect the shows or anybody who's involved with them all that much. I know, you're thinking, what does that mean? How can it be a big change, but it's not really going to affect the shows or all the people who are involved with it? I know, it sounds confusing. I get it. But we we do have a pretty significant change coming, and, I'm, and I want our channel members to be the first people to hear about it. So I was going to do a town hall um, meeting this week. But this week has just gotten away from us. And like I said, I'm leaving for Vegas on Thursday and then I'm going to come back. So we're going to do that town hall meeting next week. So, yeah, significant change coming, but nobody freak out. It's not really going to affect the John Campion show. It's not going to affect any of the people who work on the John Campion show. Nothing like that. And I know you're wondering, well, then how big can the change be? You'll see. You'll see. Uh, It's neither good news nor bad news. Just you know, it's neither good news nor bad news. It's just something that's happening, and I want the uh, audience to know about it. Uh, at least our members to know about it, and then I'm sure it'll get out from there. All right, thanks for being one of our supporters, Josh. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hollywood writers, we want more money. Also, Hollywood writers, uh, you're, the ma- you're the madam of this web. You are madam web. Actual dialogue from this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing, though. This is the part that drives me crazy, and I know you're not saying this anonymous, but I, this is the part that drives me crazy a bit, right? Like, when the writer's strike was going on, like, a lot of people who think they're sounding smart, and I know this is what you're you're saying. I'm just saying. A lot of people think this sounds smart. What? The people who wrote Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania want to raise? Well, they should stop writing crap. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Time out. What's your favorite show? Oh, Succession? Okay. You do know that it's members of the WGA that write Succession. You know that, right? And What about you? What's your favorite movie? Uh, Oppenheimer? Okay, cool. You, you do know Oppenheimer is written by a member of the WGA. You know that, right? Oh, what's your favorite show, sir? Oh, Severance, okay, yeah, yeah, you know that was written by members of the WGA. Like, every one of your favorite movies, every one of your favorite television shows, all written by the WGA. Yes, we can sit here and uh, point out the bad jobs that get done, like Madam Web, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Like, yeah, we can sit here and point out the bad ones, yes, but don't lose sight of the fact... That all of your favorite stuff, your favorite show you gotta watch every week, your favorite movies that you've watched this year, all of those written by members of the WGA. So I'm I'm just saying keep that in mind. (laughs) Just keep that in mind. All right. (coughs) Pardon me. Next up, we got Colby Saunders who writes. Uh, hey, John, I wanted to chime in on the Alan Ritchson as Batman topic from yesterday's show. I've noticed that the majority of people have no doubt he could portray the Cape Crusader. I mean, uh, just throw a hooded cowl and bat ears on Reacher and Eyed, uh, and that's a pretty accurate Batman. However, not many think he could pull off Bruce Wayne, part of the character. I'm writing to implore you and others to check him out in Blue Mountain State. He plays completely against type and shows his range. Yeah, so one of the things that I myself and Rob said on the show the other day, yesterday, about, you know, the rumor going around of um, Alan Ritchson, who of course plays Reacher, maybe being, a, 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 you know, joining the MCU and um, who, could, or, or the DCU, I should say, and uh, could he be Batman and stuff like that? And obviously he would make a great Batman, right? Obviously. The question we had was, can he pull off Bruce Wayne? Cause that's where the heavy lifting comes from. Like the, the, the real acting comes in being Bruce Wayne, not from being Batman. What do you want me to do in this scene as Batman director? Be dark and brooding. Right. I mean, it's not as hard playing Bruce Wayne. The more difficult part of the job. I think most people would agree with that. So can he do it? Maybe. A lot of people pointed to his role on Blue State as being like, hey, this is kind of a Bruce Wayne character he could do, and and maybe. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just said, I don't know. I don't know if he can do it. I know he's great on Reacher, but I don't know if he's got the range to play Bruce Wayne. Again, I don't know. Not that I think he can't. I'm just saying I don't know yet. I I don't know. Maybe you know. I don't. But it would be interesting to see how that all gets pulled off. All right. Uh, is it that time now? It is that time now. Okay. We are now going to go over, even though we've been going for almost two hours, it is now time for us to go over and start taking your live questions that you guys have been sending in live during this, uh, during this broadcast. So let's get over and start taking those questions, shall we? All right. We're going to start things off with who are we starting with, by the way, uh, we are having a problem right now. Uh, because we had this problem on the John Campus show earlier. Let me see if it fixed itself. Give me give me one second just to see if this got fixed or not. I'm not sure it did. Maybe it did. Um, you know what? No, it no, it didn't. Okay, so we're having a problem where our third-party software that sends us all the super chats and then formats it in a way that we can bring up on screen is not working properly. So What I have opened right here is actually the database on the back end of YouTube that catalogs all the questions that come in. Now, unfortunately, I can't scale it so you can see the the person who's asking the question's name. I'll read the name. You just won't be able to see it on screen, okay? So it's I apologize, but there's nothing I can do about it. I can only format so you guys can see the questions, okay? Okay. So Bobby Jackson writes... I know there isn't a big sample size for Alan Richland, but I became impressed with his acting range after seeing him as Hawk in the Titans TV show. Yeah, I gave up on Titans after season one. I didn't like it at all. I know a lot of my friends really liked it. I didn't like it at all, so I never really got a chance to see him in that. But I've heard he was actually pretty good on it. So, uh, yes. All right. Next up. My Comic Planet writes... John, just wanted to clarify my Chris Stuckman comments. Ever since he decided to stop saying anything negative about movies, I just miss the old Stuckman who would have who would always give us the good and bad of a movie. That's all. Oh, no, no, comic. I remember what you said, comic plan. There was nothing wrong with what, with what your comments were at all. I thought you said but perfectly well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I get it. A lot of people, Chris Stuckman, like I said, I think him and Jeremy Johns are the two best to ever do it. So it's understandable that people miss Chris Stuckman, the film critic. But it's his life. And if he didn't want to be that anymore and he wanted to change gears because he's trying to navigate this thing that no one's ever really done. Transition from being a pure YouTube film critic to actually being a legit filmmaker. And he's trying to figure it out. And part of his process was like, okay, I'm no longer a straight-up film critic. I'm only going to talk about the things that I really enjoy and like. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it's understandable that people, because he was the best there was at it, him and Jeremy Johns, um, that that there are people who are fans that will miss Chris being that film critic guy. I, I get it. Yeah, I totally understand that. By the way, my comic plan has sent in a $20 Super Chat to be supportive. Thank you, my comic plan. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up. We got Kyle Schneider who writes, uh, Christian Harloff said Dune part two is a masterpiece and perfect. I can't wait for Sunday. Uh, haven't been this excited since Oppenheimer. Yeah, but Harloff's a bit, a bit of an idiot. So, I mean, really who gives a shit what he has to say? I'm obviously being facetious. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm stoked about seeing it too. I'm stoked that, that, uh, Christian liked it. Um, cause I, <laughs> he needed to see a really good one because he, because of how much he totally hated, um, you want to have a good palate cleanser after watching Madam Webb. So I am excited that he, he liked it. I can't wait to see it on Sunday. I will definitely be giving, um, uh, my out of the theater reaction on Sunday once we have a chance to see it on Sunday. But yeah, I'm glad Christian liked it because, uh, because he needed a palate <laughs> cleanser after Madam Webb. All right. Next up, Aiden Foley sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Aiden, who writes, I just want to show my support since I love this show so much. Thank you so much, Aiden. I appreciate that, man. I mean it when I say that you have helped me realize my love and passion for film. Thank you, dude. I really appreciate that. Uh, I owe you a lot, John. Uh, Cheers for being the best damn movie show on the planet. Uh, Listen, it's, it's, listen, I I know I say it all the time, but it is 100% accurate and authentic when I say how much it means to me when you guys want to, first of all, tip and support the channel, but then just use your tip and support just to write in to say something encouraging to me. I appreciate that so much. I I always have and I always will. So thank you so much for that, Aiden. I appreciate that very much. All right. Next up, uh, Damaris Love writes, who also sends in a $20 super chat, writes in, Besides Jeremy Johns, uh, Chris has been one of my go-to YouTubers. Why are the basement dwellers going after him now? Do they not have to have anything better to do besides complain? Listen, why people do what they do, I will leave to the psychotherapists and to sociologists. I have some theories. Um, I have some theories. Some of them just like to make rage bait click videos. Some people want to use Chris Stuckman's name as leverage to get some viewers. Uh, some people just... I, I don't know. I hate Madam Web. Listen, for the record, I hate Madam Web too, but I hate Madam Web, and therefore you better hate it and say how much it sucks or else I'm coming after you. Fuck you. Take your panties out of your mouth and take a deep breath and get some perspective on life. Uh, I, I I mean, I, I... Again, I will never understand... I will honestly never understand why some YouTubers want to make their YouTubing about other people who are YouTubers. Uh, I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it. If you're a, a YouTuber about movies, talk about the fucking movies. Just, just talk about the fucking movies. All right. Let other people talk about movies, and you talk about movies, and there are going to be other YouTubers that are kind of in agreement with you, and there are going to be YouTubers who say things that are differently, and who cares? It's part of being the movie fan community. Why make videos, why use your YouTubing to YouTube about other people who YouTube? Unless it's trying to draw people's attention to something you like, or to be positive, or to build up the community, or whatever. I'll never understand that. Like, I really, really won't. I'll never understand that. Like, how sad and pathetic your life has to be that that guy on that other YouTube channel said something that my YouTube channel doesn't agree with. Therefore, I'm going to make a video about that guy who makes videos. Grrrr! Look at my tiny dick! I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get that philosophy. You know, people will always, like, like people will write to me and say, like, oh, John, you know. And Granted, it hasn't happened in a while, which makes me think I must be slipping. Why? I'm not getting enough videos made about me anymore. I must be slipping. I must not be doing something right. <laughs> because it's been a while. But anyway, I would get people writing to me, right? I get some of our viewers who write to me, So, oh, John, did you hear this guy in his YouTube channel talk shit about you? Aren't you going to respond? I'm like, why the fuck would I respond? Like that, that guy making that YouTube video is not important enough for me to talk about just because he doesn't realize that I'm not important enough that he should be talking about me. Doesn't mean he's important enough that I should be talking about him. So, I mean, look, if somebody wants to make videos about me, go for it. That makes you happy in your mom's basement? Okay, you you be you, my friend. You be you. Go for it. I I don't respond, number one, because I bury them probably, but I don't need to respond. You want to go out there and keep free advertising for me? Feel free. My, I YouTube to talk about movies. I YouTube to talk about things I like. Occasionally, I have to talk about things that suck, like Madam Web. Granted. But I try not to go too crazy with it. Like, anybody who made this movie needs to be burned. Burned! I, Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. So... And again, I say this is somebody who thoroughly hated Madam Web, but you know what? Whatever. It is what it is. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Mr. Hank Dunn, who writes, I think Superman Legacy is going to make roughly the same as the Batman. Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> like $700 million plus? Anyway, simply because of the fact that it's a new Superman. People like DC, but not the DCEU. But here's the thing, Mr. Hank Dunn. No matter how good Superman Legacy is, right? And I think it's going to be good. I don't know that it'll be good, but I I believe it's going to be really good. But even if it is really good, it's going to take a little while to win people back over, right? It's going to take a little while to win people back over. It just is. And I think Warner Brothers understands that. They know, listen, we're never going to get to where we need to be unless we're going to put out one or two movies that are going to struggle at the box office because we've had a really hard time lately. But if those first one or two movies that struggle a little bit at the box office are excellent movies, then it's going to fix itself. Winning cures everything. It might mean that. So I, I don't know that I'm as opt, I don't, I'm No, I, I'm not as optimistic as you that Superman Legacy is going to make a lot of money. I don't think it will. But that's okay it doesn't need to make a lot of money. Warner Brothers is in a position right now that they know they're going to have to take one or two on the chin in order to get into a better place. Make Superman Legacy great. Whatever the next movie is, make it great. And then, once you win the audience back over and people start to say, and you've rehabilitated your image and people are now like, "Oh, DC's making good movies again." then you start to turn things around but it's going to require taking a couple on the chin and i think superman legacy is going to be one that takes it on chin look king daddy go to saying i think it's 500 million listen if it makes 500 million awesome i i i, I honestly think if superman legacy can make 500 million they're popping bottles over at the wb offices they're absolutely popping bottles uh i think that would be very very Great for them. But they got to rehabilitate. So we'll see if they're able to do that. Thank you, Mr. Hank Dunn. Next up, Chris Minor writes better DiCaprio performance. Wolf of Wall Street uh, or Django. Ooh. Listen, man, Di- DiCaprio's a hell of an actor. Cause he's great in both of those. Um <coughs> I'm gonna say Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, listen, his performance in Django is so freaking cool. I think Django might... Eat. I go back and forth as to whether Django or Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. But, I mean, Django is so good and he's so good in it, but I'm going to lean towards Wolf of Wall Street. All right, next up. Alex Von Gollum writes, Hey, John, I've been wondering, what prevented you from walking out of Madam Web? And is it worse than Expendables 4? I would put it on par with Expendables 4. Uh, Expendables 4 was, and I'm a fan of the Expendables movies. I know they're cheesy and whatever. I get that. But I unapologetically have fun with the Expendables movies. But 4 was straight up trash. Just awful. And I couldn't take it. I walked out after, I, I think it was an hour. I can't even remember when I walked out. It was so bad. I, I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take it anymore. Madam Webb, though, the, the thing is, Expendables 4 didn't have big implications or ramifications, right? Expendables 4 was going to be the last Expendables movie. Everybody knew it, and so it didn't really have ramifications outside of Expendables 4. Madam Web, though, on the other hand, has ramifications. It is a part of what Sony is trying to make its own cinematic universe. How good or bad Madam Web is is going to have a direct impact on future movies and direction that Sony's cinematic universe goes. There were more important and bigger ramifications, and I think that's why I didn't leave. As like, as like, I gotta watch this because it's completely relevant to future movies. Unlike Expendables Four, had no relevance to anything after Expendables Four. Madam Web did, and that's why I think no matter how bad it got, I stayed <laughs> and I kept watching it. So that would be the difference for me. All right, thanks a lot for that, Alex. Next up, Jake Saunders writes: "Superman Legacy uh, slash Bassam Youssef drama, Uh what going on? I have no idea what you're talking about." Oh wait, no, 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 no! I, I, no, no, I did hear about that. Right? They, so Bassam was going to be in Superman Legacy, then he made some comments on social media, and it became known that Bassam was no longer in Superman Legacy. So therefore, some people thought, oh, they fired him because of social media comments he made. But James Gunn got out ahead of that, and he made it clear. Actually, the character Bassam was going to play was written out of the story in one of the drafts before Bassam ever made those public statements. So, they did not fire Bassam, the the actor, as a result of what he said on social media. It's that the character itself was removed, not the actor. The character itself was removed before Bassam ever made the public statement. So. If we're talking about the same thing, yeah, that's the uh, that's the explanation on that. All right, next up. <clears throat> because if it was just the actor, they would just cast another actor to come and play the character, but they actually wrote the character out in a, in a draft uh, before he ever made the social media statements. Anyway, um, <clears throat> next up, Mauricio writes, Sony botching uh, Madame Web hurts not just their cinematic universe, but also the genre, and the MCU in particular, since they try to pretend they're a part of it. Yep. Listen, I've been saying forever, Mauricio, that one of the reasons Kevin Feige always talks about he's a fan of DC and and the people who would run DC talk and directors of DC films talk about how much they love Marvel movies and all that kind of stuff is because Kevin Feige understands that, yes, there are Marvel fans, yes, there are DC fans, but there's a lot of average filmgoers, not all of them, but a lot of average filmgoers that don't see the difference. It's They just see them as... They're all superhero movies, right? And if they go to see a crappy superhero movie, they're less likely to go to the next superhero movie, regardless if it's DC or Marvel. Now, some of us make the distinction, but there are a lot of average film fans who do not. So you're 100% right, Mauricio. Madam Web being that bad hurts everybody. I mean, it hurts them the worst, but it hurts everybody. So you're absolutely right about that. All right, next up. Uh... Anubis Genocide writes, with the Canada arm and possibly a CN Tower Easter egg in the Deadpool 3 tease, and that uh, Deadpool, Wolverine, and Ryan Reynolds are Canadian, what's your best bet that they sneak in Alpha Flight joke in Deadpool 3? I don't think they will. I've been, like, a lot of people for years have been saying, oh, they're going to do Alpha Flight, and I'm like, they're not going to do Alpha Flight. I mean, I would love for them to do Alpha Flight. Don't get me wrong, of course I would. Vindicator, baby. North Star. Sasquatch, puck, gimme, Alpha Flight. But I don't think they will. And listen, um, I mean, Ryan Reynolds always throws in the little Canadian. Like, you remember in the first Deadpool, right? Wade Wilson of Regina, Saskatchewan, lining up for the kick. You remember, like, he's, he's, Ryan will drop Canadian things. I don't think they're going to do an Alpha Flight thing because nobody would get the joke. There's no point in doing a little joke if nobody's going to get the joke. Nobody in the average movie going audience has ever heard of Alpha Flight, right? They've never, heard, most people, they'll have no idea who Alpha Flight is. There's only a very, very few small group of people that will know who Alpha Flight is. I see some debate going on in the live chat, uh, wondering if I am Canadian or if I am Italian. I am Italian Canadian. I was born in Canada. My family, my dad, my grandfather, and all that came over from the old country. Uh, My grandfather, Giovanni, who I am named after, for those of you who don't know, my real name is Giovanni, um, came over with his teenage son, my dad, and brought his family, my nonna, and uh, my grandfather's brothers. My grandfather was the oldest brother, and he brought his brothers. How Italian is this? My grandfather, Giovanni, and his brothers, Carlos, Vincenzo, Romolo, and Sigarlo. Those are my great uncles. And they all brought their families over and uh, settled in Canada. And that's when I was born. I was born in Canada. My dad met my mom. And then along came little Giovanni. And so I am Italian-Canadian. Italian-Canadian. Anyway, all right, next up. Uh, We go to Zach who writes, thoughts on the new A24 Civil War trailer. I didn't think it was as good as the first one. Like, the first, for those of you who didn't know, Civil War, not... Not Captain America Civil War. The A24 movie Civil War. Uh, they dropped a new trailer, I think, earlier this morning. And it's it's not... I mean, it's good. It's good. But it's not as punch you in the face, holy shit, kind of, this feels too real like the first trailer did. So it was a good trailer. I'm looking forward to seeing the movie, but I just thought the first trailer was better. Jedediah Elias writes, uh, Morbius on Disney Plus March 1st. Morbius, Morbius Minute went... For those of you who don't know what Jedediah is talking about, we had a plan that Ray was going to start his own show (coughs) on our channel, and it was going to be called The Morbius Minute, where literally the show was going to be Ray would watch one minute of Morbius and then do an episode talking about that one minute. And then next week, he would watch the next minute of Morbius. And then on the next episode, talk about that next minute. And then minute three, and then minute four, and minute five. And It was going to be called the Morbius Minute. And we were all planning to do it. We were going to do it. And then we ultimately decided not to. And somebody in the live chat, where is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mecha Goji is saying we should now do the Madam Web Minute show. Yeah, we'll break down Madam Web. Minute by minute. All right. Uh, next up, thanks for that, Jedediah. Uh, Jared writes, "I cross my fingers for an Elseworlds Superman Red Sun movie. Do you ever realistically see it happening? No, uh, it'll never happen. But, but there is an animated Red Sun movie out. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago, and you can go and find it. And they they did a pretty good job. They did a pretty good job. It's not great, but they did a pretty good job." Uh, The Superman Red Sun story I think is the best Elseworlds comic ever, comic story ever made. I I think it was just fantastic. I love it. But again, I don't think we're ever going to see it live action, but you can totally go and find it in animated form. All right. Thanks, Jared. Next up, uh, Mike's Movie Madness writes, Chris made it clear when he shifted gears that he wasn't going to review films. Rather, he would discuss them when he had something to say. And when he did have negative reviews, he never bashed films. Yeah. Uh, again, it's like a lot of the, here's the problem. A lot of these people are acting like Chris Stuckman. And by the way, I think a lot of these people making bashing videos on Chris Stuckman just don't watch his channel. Like they have no idea what they're talking about, but a lot of these people, it's, it's almost like, and I'm pretty sure this is the case. They don't realize that he's not like a full-time movie critic anymore, that, that, that he hasn't done that for a long time. And they're just like thinking, oh no, he's just a he's just a regular movie critic still, but he's refusing to criticize Madam Webb. By the way, like I said earlier, you got to be a special kind of stupid if you watched Chris's video, act actually watched Chris's video and not clearly understand that he really hated the movie. I'm just saying a lot of people like are just acting like he never changed gears. He changed gears a long time ago and was very forthright about it. Again, I disagree with a lot of the stuff Chris says and opinions that he holds. I disagree with a lot of it, but the reality is he changed gears ages ago, and he was very forthright about his change of gears, so there shouldn't be any misunderstanding. But anyway, it's just that. All right, thanks, Mike's Movie Madness. Next up, uh, Jared Oberfeld writes, come on, people, give Chris a break. Uh, Ever since he went through the process of making a film, he has been more understanding of how much of a miracle it is to make Casablanca or Saving Ryan. You know, I will say this too. When I made my first movie, The Anniversary, and thank you to everybody who bought it. When I made my first movie, The Anniversary, um, it I, I got to admit, it softened me. Because I was still doing the movie blog at the time. And it softened me because, I'll tell you what, man, making your own movie... It makes you appreciate just how fucking impossible it is to make a good movie. To to make a movie at all. It is a Herculean feat that somebody can make a movie. I I mean, it's crazy what goes into it. And so when I, after I made the anniversary, and the main reason I made the movie was just so I can appreciate what filmmakers do. It wasn't to become a filmmaker. It was to appreciate what filmmakers do. And it, and it really did. It made me grow a huge appreciation for it. And I think it made me soften a little bit. <clears throat> and I think that has stuck with me to this day. Because, like, you will rarely... If those of you who've watched my channel for a long period of time, you can attest to this. You will rarely ever hear me say, This director should never direct again. Or this writer should never write again. Unless they're the guys who wrote Morbius, Madame Web, Dracula Untold, Gods of Egypt, The Last Witch Hunter, maybe those guys shouldn't work again. But I mean, you've probably never heard me say that, right? Ever, because I had the opportunity to appreciate, develop an appreciation for how hard it is. Now, I still give my honest opinion on movies. I, I like this movie. I didn't like this movie. Whatever, all that, sure. But it 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 made me appreciate a little bit more the impossibility of making a movie and, uh, and I just appreciate even when they do a bad job, even when they do a bad job, it still makes me appreciate just what they were able to accomplish even in making a bad movie sometimes, but <clears throat> you know, whatever, that's just me. All right. Thanks for that, Jared. Next up, uh, Wes Pap- Papis writes, I met Chris twice. He's a gentleman and so humble. Listen, I'll tell you what, and I say this with love. I do. Because I've already waxed poetic how much I appreciate Chris Stockman. I respect him. I think he's him and Jeremy John's the two best to ever, the two best pure film critics ever to do it on YouTube. Right? He's been on my panels. He's come into my studio, done videos with me. I've had I've broken bread with the gentleman, okay? He's a giant fucking nerd. Chris <laughs> Stockman's a giant fucking nerd, man. And I say that with love. I I, I totally say that with love. He is remarkably humble. He really is. Uh, listen, like I said, I'm not friends with Chris Stuckman. I know Chris. I'm acquainted. We've, we've, we've crossed paths. We've done a couple of things. Yes. But I wouldn't say I'm friends with Chris. Like we, we don't call each other on the phone every Christmas or anything like that. Right. Don't misunderstand. But in all the, all the times I've had, uh, all the experiences I've had and the opportunities I've had to hang around Chris, do videos with him, do panels with him, whatever. Um, he is a, Thoroughly humble guy, like extremely humble. Um, <coughs> he's uh, very thoughtful. He is, is an incredibly thoughtful dude. I wish I could tell you a story, but I think it would embarrass him. So I'm not going to tell the story, but it's just, it's just a story that I remember me, Jeremy Johns and, and Chris Duckman were hanging around one day and there was somebody else there and somebody did something and Chris said something in reply that just made me and Jeremy Johns both go, what a fucking nerd. Oh my fucking God. But, anyway, but again, I, I say that in the best way possible and I mean it in love, but, uh, but yeah, there's, <laughs> there's that anyway. All right. Next up. What we got here. We got uh, Spencer Smothers who writes, have you seen the Sora AI video? Yes, I have. Uh, I thought for sure AI video generation would take years to reach this level of quality, but it only took a year. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, you know, I, the first video I watched about it was done by Marquise Brownlee, uh, the, the MKBHD guy. And, and he said something very true. It's, it's, it's remarkable like the ai generated video that they with the sora ai that they're able to accomplish is remarkable but it's frightening it's scary it's scary um and it's scary because you know at some point somebody's going to make a, a video of joe biden like stealing a kid's Halloween candy and pushing them into bushes and Fox News will run with it as if it was real or somebody's going to make a video of Donald Trump running into girls' bathrooms and smacking their asses and taking pictures and running out and some people will run with it like it's real. Like that, and and MKBHD brought that up because while it's really incredible, um, what this technology can do, I, I, I'm not. I'm. It's not hyperbole, guys. When I tell you, it, it, there, there's actually a real aspect of it that I find very frightening and very scary. <clears throat> very frightening and very scary. Because we as a human race have kind of been premised on the notion that. See it to believe it, right? I got to see it to believe it. How many, like, court dramas and everything, it's like, oh, you said you didn't do it, but we got the video evidence and they show the video evidence, right? But it's now, it's like, holy shit, it could really be faked. It can really, it can legitimately be faked now. It's no longer Photoshopped an image. I mean, it is, it's video. It can be really faked and it's quite scary. And they need to legislate the shit out of this stuff. They need to make laws around this shit and how it can be used and how it can't be used. And they they need to make laws that are basically like, if you make a video and try to make it look like somebody and make it look like somebody's doing something, you fucking get the death penalty. Yeah, yeah, the death penalty. You're going to die if you do that. If you try to ruin somebody's life or hurt somebody by making using this technology to make a video and make it looks like somebody's doing something. I mean, I don't know how you're going to regulate this, but Oh my God, it's, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary. All right. Next up. Um, Spencer Smothers writes, uh, although that was Spencer. Sorry about that. Uh, Sam Ash writes, uh, bashing, criticizing, buttering up or whatever you say. Uh, but I do miss Chris's, uh, Hilariousity reviews uh, when he reviewed a bunch of hilarious, badly made movies. Those are so funny. Listen, like I was saying a little bit earlier, Sam, I get that because what's a good way to put it? Um, It's okay. It's it's like you're a big Genesis fan. I mean, this is even a little bit before my time. So some of you might not get this reference, but it's like if you're a big Genesis fan, right? And Peter Gabriel's the lead singer of Genesis. And then Peter Gabriel leaves and does a solo career. And you are like, Hey, listen, I I still appreciate what Peter Gabriel's doing now, but I really miss him being in Genesis. You know, I I get that. Like, there are people who had been following Chris Stuckman for a very, very, very long time and followed his movie reviews for a very long time. He's one of the biggest in the world. And then he changed and started doing a different thing. It's totally understandable that there are fans of his that would go, I miss that. Totally understandable. Totally get it. 100%. I, I know where you're coming from, Sam, and I, I don't think that's crazy of you to feel that way. All right. Next up. Uh, YT Pump Life writes, John, you're hilarious, my friend. Uh, sometimes in all the wrong ways. Would you ever do another 24-hour live stream? No. Um, the 24-hour live stream that I did that one time it was for uh, typhoon relief in the Philippines. That's the thing where Dave Batista helped me out. Uh, A bunch of people helped me out. It it was great. We raised a lot of money for disaster relief. It was great. The problem is, and I mean this literally, it almost killed me. (laughs) Uh, Dennis and I, Dennis didn't even do the whole 24 hours. But I got so sick after that. So I literally left from the 24-hour stream Got literally finished the stream, saying thanks for joining us for this 24-hour stream. Cut the stream. Got in the car. Drove to Vegas to the uh, uh, to the um, the Academy of Web Television Awards that were being held in Vegas, where we won. We won best show, best live show on the internet. And me and Dennis walked up on stage, accepted the award, walked off stage backstage into the hallway and I collapsed. Literally, I collapsed. They had to bring me a wheelchair to take me back to my room. And I spent the rest of the next 36 hours in Vegas under bed covers with the hairdryer under the covers turned on because I was shaking and shivering. I thought I was going to die. I was shaking and shivering under the covers and I put the hairdryer under the blankets with the hairdryer cranked on to keep me warm. And then Dennis and I Dennis got super sick too. And then we both drove back. I thought I was going to die on the drive. I got home, went to bed, slept for two and a half days. And then was sick for the next three months. It was awful. It was awful. It was so bad. I've never been that sick. I've never been that sick. So um, I will do maybe a special 12-hour live stream sometime if there's if there's a good cause to do it for but 24 hours is is not not something i can do again i don't think i can do 24 hours again all right um uh anthony c writes, so john is the john Cape show tour ago um <clears throat> what can i say all right i'll tell you this There are conversations happening right now with my people and other people about trying to set up sending me out on tour. I can honestly tell you it was not my idea, but my reps have really been pushing me, um, for a while to go out and do live shows like, like what me, Harloff and, um, Greg Alba did in Los Angeles and in Burbank. That was a great day, by the way. Thank you to everybody who came out to that. Like sold the place out. Was super fun. Uh, but they've been wanting me to go out on tour. My thing is, and I it's, seriously, I, I've been saying to my reps all the time, guys, I don't think you appreciate that I am a nobody. And if I go to St. Louis or Chicago or Boston or San Francisco or wherever you want to send me. You guys are gonna book facilities. You guys are gonna sell tickets, and ain't nobody's gonna fucking show up. And that's my biggest nightmare. Like that—that that is, that, that, the, holy shit! As as a man and as an Italian, woo! That that that's woo! That that hurts. And I just—I've been telling them all year, dude. No one's gonna come. Like no no one's gonna come. But they keep insisting. They keep insisting and pushing and pushing and pushing. Leave it to us. We'll do the promotion. We'll get. You know, we'll, we'll get people coming and all that kind of stuff. And so I finally said to them, okay, fine, go ahead and see if you can work something out. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anthony, I will let you guys know. I still don't believe anybody would come to it, but whatever. We'll find out. All right. Y2 Jericho writes, Chris Stuckman's Shelby Oaks. Oh, that's the name of his movie, right? Shelby Oaks. Will most likely end up like uh, James Rolfe's AVGN movie. A huge flop made by Hollywood wannabe that can't direct. Maybe. Maybe. That very well could be what happens. Absolutely. But here's the thing. He's got the balls to try. Stuckman's got the balls to try. Most people wouldn't dare. Most people would be too afraid of the public humiliation. Most people would would tremble and quiver like cowards in the corner. That's what most people would do. Stuckman's movie may end up absolutely sucking. It might. He's never directed a film before. Could be terrible. Maybe even the chances are that it's going to be terrible. Maybe that might be true. Maybe but he's the only one in the room with the balls to do it. I don't think people appreciate how much out on a limb Chris is going out on. Chris had, and still has, an incredibly successful YouTube career with millions and millions of people who follow him and have followed him for years. Um, He's got all of that. And he's willing to risk it all to pursue a dream. Most people are cowards. Most people are sniveling little cowards and will never step out of their comfort zone and risk everything to pursue a dream. Now, you might be sitting at home right now going, no, 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 if I was offered the chance to direct a movie, I would. Yeah, but you got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. Unless you're sitting at home and you have millions of YouTube followers and stuff like that that you're risking, but I'm betting that you don't. Most of us don't. Stockman was willing to put everything on the line and risk everything to step out on a limb, say, okay, critic boy, you've been criticizing other people's movies all this time. Let's see what you got. Listen, man, that took a lot of fucking balls. That took a lot of balls. And even if his movie sucks, and even if his movie flops and fails, he can look in the mirror and say something that 99% of the people in this world never will. I gave it a shot. I I took a big risk. I risked it all, and I stepped out there, and I gave it a shot. There's a Bible story. Preacher John is coming in here. There's a Bible story, my friends, brothers and sisters. There's a Bible story that I love that everybody gets the wrong idea about. There's a story once where Jesus took his apostles out on a boat, and in the middle of the night— Hallelujah. In the middle of the night, a storm breaks out. I bet a lot of you didn't know I'm a theologian. It's a true story. I went to seminary. I went to Bible school. I really did. So Jesus, in the middle of the night, gets his apostles, puts them in a boat, and they go out in the middle of the waters, right? And in the middle of the night, a storm breaks out as the story goes. And the Bible describes the weather was so brutal and so rough and the rains were so hard and the waves were so high that all the apostles were in the boat and trembling in fear. They thought they were going to die. And they realize, where the fuck is Jesus? And they're looking around. Did you know that the Bible said that? The Bible didn't say I made that part up. But they look around, they realize Jesus isn't in the boat. And if you're thinking, what does that have to do with Chris Stuckman? You'll, you'll, You'll find out in a second. And no, I'm not saying Chris Stuckman is Jesus. So they look around, the wind, the waves, the, the, the rains, it's terrifying. They think they're gonna, the boat's going to capsize, they're going to drown, they're going to die. And then what they do is they look at, one of them looks out on the water and says, holy shit, Jesus is out there standing on the water. Jesus is walking on the water. And Jesus calls out to them and he says, come walk to me. Get out of the boat and come and walk to me, Jesus says to his disciples. And collectively they said, hell no. Nah, nah, are you crazy? Look at the wind, look at the rain. We're going to drown, we're going to die. But one of them, Peter, Petros in the Greek, which means rock. The apostle Peter, he's trembling, he's scared, but he goes, you know what? Jesus says, come and walk to him. So Peter stands up puts one leg over the boat, and puts his foot down on the water, and it holds. Then he gets his other foot out of the boat, and he actually takes a couple of steps on the fucking water. And then the Bible says that Peter then saw how bad the weather was, how big the waves were, and he became afraid, and he sunk. And Jesus came running over, pulled him out of the water, put him back in the boat. Now, here's the moral of the story that everybody gets wrong. See, everybody, theologians too, they look at that story and they say, oh, that's a story about, they call." you know what they call the story in in Bible school? They call it Doubting Peter. A lot of church circles call it Doubting Peter. And they take away that the moral of this story was that, oh, look how Peter failed. Peter failed, because instead of having faith and continuing to walk on the water, he got distracted by the winds and the waves, waves and his own fear, and he sunk. Ha, 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 ha. He sunk. But that's not the point of the story. You see, the point of the story is that while Peter ended up getting wet, and while Peter was the only one to get embarrassed by taking a shot, he stepped out on the water and sunk while all the other apostles stayed curled up on the boat. Here's the real moral of the story. Out of all of those disciples, only one of them can ever say they walked on fucking water. And that's Peter. Yeah, it was only a couple of steps. It was only a couple of steps before he... Before he got distracted and he failed and he fell into the water. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Out of all the disciples, all the other ones stayed very safe and cozy, cuddled up in the fucking boat and and too afraid to get out and walk. And Peter got out and sunk and he got embarrassed and everybody was looking at him. Ha ha, look how wet you are, all that kind of stuff. But only one of them walked on water. Peter walked, so the Bible says. Walked on water. Only two or three steps. So, yes. Why to Jericho? Absolutely. People can look at Chris Stuckman and trying to make this movie and say, you're going to end up sinking in the water. Ha, 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 Your movie's going to be a huge flop, and you're going to fall in the water, and you're going to get all wet, and everybody's going to point their fingers and laugh at you. Yup. But you know what? I would rather be Peter than one of the fucking cowards still sitting in the boat. I would rather be Peter than one of the fucking cowards still sitting in the boat. Stuckman may fail. He might. He might get embarrassed. It's a big deal putting out a movie and having the whole world watch it and judge it. He might get humiliated. He might. But he's the only one getting out of the boat, my friends. And regardless of whether Shelby Oaks ends up being good or a horrible car wreck of a movie, who knows? But regardless, he had the guts to get out of the boat. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to sit cowering, trembling, like a little coward in the boat? Or are you going to look at Stuckman and say, that's inspiring. Maybe I should take a shot at something. It's it's, it's just, you know, just my thing. Just my thing. Just my kind of two cents on that whole thing. All right. And thus endeth the sermon, brothers and sisters. All right. Oscar uh, writes, Oscar Herrera writes, Good evening, John. Thoughts on Chris Nolan wanting to make a horror movie. Uh, Thanks to you and crew for being a source of joy in my days. Much needed. I love the idea of Christopher Nolan doing a... uh, uh, I love the idea of Christopher Nolan doing a horror movie. I love it when filmmakers step out of their comfort zones and do something kind of different. I would also love to see Christopher Nolan do a straight-up comedy. I would love to see Christopher Nolan do a comedy. But comedy, horror, whatever... Um, I, I would love to see him do that. I, I think it would be fantastic if he did. All right. Uh, next up <laughs> Sidious Swift writes, but John, I haven't heard that one in a while. Thank you. Sidious. Sidious Swift also writes. How are everyone? How's everyone been? It's been a while. <coughs> Sorry, guys still kind of fighting my cough a little bit. Uh, things have been good. Things have been better than good. Things have been great, man. I got to tell you what my friends, um, everybody likes to sing sad songs about how tough life is and all that kind of stuff. And I, I appreciate that. Life can be hard. We all face really difficult times. Uh, but I'm, I'm really cognizant and aware of that. I I'm really very lucky. I, I have a pretty, um, I have a pretty blessed life. I really do. Uh, despite the challenges that come, the hard things that come to all of us, everybody faces them. I mean, I'm no exception. Everybody is, but you know, I, Somebody once taught me the lesson practice gratitude. And it sounds cheesy, and I thought it was cheesy too, but you know, someone once said to me, every day, take a minute and kind of just list off in your own head the things you're grateful for. It kind of changes your perspective on life a little bit. And while I don't do that every day, I, I don't, maybe like once a week, but I, I find that even like once a week, taking a moment, whether I'm sitting in my backyard or whatever, and going, you know, okay, I'm just going to think for a second about things I'm really grateful for. I got an awesome family. I've got a dad who is like, I, admittedly, I'm not super close with because I'm very socially awkward, even with people in my own family. But my, I couldn't have asked for a better dad to model for me what a man is, um, and what loyalty is, and what family means. I, I've got a wonderful, wonderful mother. I've got terrific siblings. My um, extended, I've, I was blessed to grow up in a very big extended family with a lot of Italians, aunts and uncles, and all that kind of stuff. I got to pursue I am a guy who loves movies and I got I got to do that with my life. I got to talk about movies as my job for a living. Um I met the girl of my dreams who is my partner now and 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 you know my wife and my partner and the girl of my dreams. Who, I mean she's uh pursuing her PhD now. She's ambitious and driven and smart and intelligent and sexy and beautiful and everything. I, I a guy an Italian-Canadian kid could ever hope for. Things are good, Sidious. It's a good little practice. Again, not like every morning do some New Age uh, mantra chanting, but like like once a week, sit down and just think about the things you got really good in your life. And, and th- it kind of helps change perspective in life, I think, a little bit. All right. Uh, next up, Jedediah writes, Just announced Ferris Bueller's spinoff film based around the two guys who went on the joyride in Cameron's dad's Ferrari, titled Sam and Victor's Day Off. Is that true? Is that true? <laughs> that can't be true, is it? Is that like a real thing? <laughs> if so, that's pretty freaking hilarious. All right, guys, listen. Uh, we are going to take one more quick quick break because my cupeth runneth dry again. I got to go top it up. Um, I'll give you guys a chance to talk amongst yourself, and we're going to thank another sponsor of today's episode of Open Mic. These guys are great. The wonderful folks over at Factor. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Factor. You know, guys, some days it's great to prepare your own meal, but some days it's great to have wonderful, delicious meals already ready to go. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals makes eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan, veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. They've got snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And guys, you get to save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So guys, head to factormeals.com can campia50 and use the code campia50 to get 50% off. That's code campia50 at factormeals.com slash campia50 to get 50% off. And thank you to our friends at Factor for sponsoring today's episode of Open Mic. All right, guys, with that down, let's close things. Oh, this is going to be almost a three-hour stream. <laughs> we're getting, we're, we're, we're like 20 minutes away from this being a three-hour stream. Anyway, all right. I'm sorry for the length, guys. Like I said, we had a big topic to talk about with the 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 Chris Stuckman stuff and the Madam Web, and then we had to make up for the super chat questions that we didn't answer on the John Campbell Show. I apologize that today's stream has gone so long, but we got a few more to get to. Let's get to it. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, Hamid LFC who writes, Gareth Edwards in talks to direct the next Jurassic World movie according to The Hollywood Reporter. Thoughts? I'd love it. I mean, listen, they were supposed to have the one dude direct it. They announced that uh, the John Wick guy was going to direct the next Jurassic World. And then literally two days after they announced he was directing it, they had to announce, no, he's not directing it anymore. I mean, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing for Universal. Uh, I'd be down for Gareth Edwards to do one. Yeah. Step up to the plate again. I'd be down for it. Sure. Why not? Let's give it a shot. All right. Next up, Zach writes, so glad you took a Midnight Movie Talk to school. Who's who's Midnight Movie Talk again? Um he was so hyper emotional and going after Chris physical approach just can't I have no idea who or what we're talking about. I have no idea who or what we're talking about to be honest with you. Um Yeah, so I I Is that was that somebody in the live chat? I have no idea who or what we're talking about. Sorry about that. All right, next up, did you see that Batman Beyond artwork discussing film posted earlier today? Yes. If Warner Brothers can spend ninety million dollars on super pets, they can absolutely make this. No, I not necessarily, not necessarily. Um, I the average fan out there does not know, and I don't think would care about Batman Beyond. Now, my position on that softened significantly once Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out. Because there are a lot of similarities between that and a Batman Beyond, right? Because, like, to the the average fans out there who are 95% of the audience, to the average fan out there, Spider-Man is Peter Parker, period. That's it. Batman is Bruce Wayne, period. Period. That's it. I don't care that other people in the comics have taken up the mantle from time to time. Whatever. Batman is Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is Peter Parker. But then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, right? With Miles Morales as a Spider-Man. And that really worked. And I said at the time, and I said it again on the John Cable show earlier today, I said... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse really changed my mind a lot about whether or not you could make a Batman Beyond animated movie, not live action. But the reality is it would still be a massive, massive risk because so many of the people do not know. um, So many people have no idea what a Batman beyond is or anything like that. And super pets is a different thing, right? You're, you're taking, Hey, Superman's dog, Batman's dog. They they don't have to know them from the comics. They just, that's Superman's dog. Dwayne Johnson's doing the voice, you know, uh, uh, Hart is doing the voice. Eh, You're right. It's less of a risk. It, It didn't do very well, but it was less of a risk. So I don't think it's, I don't think there's an equivalency to say Jedediah that, well, if they can do it with super best they can do it with Batman Beyond. Mm, it's not equivalent. It's not equivalent. So it could work because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse proved that something like that could work. It doesn't mean it will work. But I do think at some point, I think at some point they will roll the dice and do an animated Batman Beyond movie. Whether or not it'll be theatrical, I'm not sure. All right. Uh, Mr. I writes, Luke Basson movies, The Professional, Lucy and the fifth element least favorite valerian yeah Val- valerian was pretty rough i mean uh, the professional obviously f- fabulous uh, i really did quite like lucy the fifth element is one that a lot of people love that i like i mean don't get me wrong usually you said Campy didn't like fifth element no i like fifth element i i just don't think it's the sci-fi classic that some other people think it is and that's fine totally fair but Luc Besson is clearly a visionary director, but man, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets was so bad. It was so bad. But now he's going to do Dracula with two-time Academy Award winner Christoph Waltz. Why not? I listen, I'll give it a shot. I'm down. I'm totally down for it. Hopefully it'll be great. All right. <clears throat> Late Night Alum writes, hey, John, watched uh, Ma- Marmalade over the weekend. Which one is that again? Uh, it's a gem of a film starring Joe Keery and Aldous Hodge. I really like Aldous Hodge. Like, uh, have you seen it? And if so, what are your thoughts? I don't, I'm don't. i not even familiar with it. I'll be honest with you. I've never even heard of it. I could lie to you and say, oh, huh, oh, yeah, 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 that movie. Yeah. No, no, no I've, I've never heard of it. That's too bad. God, I really like Aldous Hodge. <laughs> he was so good in Black Adam. Anyway. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with it. But thank you for putting it on my radar late night. I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes open for it and see if I can come across it. All right. Uh, next up, we got John McKinley, who writes with X Men '97 coming out. If it's successful, do you think they'll bring back the '90s Spider-Man? No, uh, I hope so because my favorite uh, it, it my it's my favorite incarnation of the character. I don't think that one's going to be connected to the other. Now, now that being said, success of one thing breeds envy in other things, right? Like I just said. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think, has opened the door for a Batman Beyond. Now, I'm saying no, but the reality is, I mean, who knows? If if X-Men 97 is a really, really, really huge hit, maybe it'll get some people thinking, well, what other thing? Listen, Barbie was a big hit. Now, Hasbro and Mattel are, are running around saying, what other toys do we have that we can make into movies that they never would have thought of before until Barbie became the number one box office hit of the year? So yeah, maybe if X-Men 97 becomes a big hit, like I never liked that Spider-Man show myself, but I know Ray loved it. Ray loved that Spider-Man show. Uh, (coughs) But yeah, if it's a big, if 97's a big hit, maybe it does open the door for that. All right, Bob93 writes, would it be possible for Sony to go through a regime change like WB did, or is the situation different? And would a regime change even fix any of the problems they have now? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Well, here's the thing. Sony actually went through a regime change a couple of years ago, and, and, and it was a good one. It was good. Remember, by the way, with all the talk, because Madam Web's bad, all this talk about, oh, Sony's failing. Sony just had their quarterly earnings call. They had their most profitable quarter in a, in a long time. There's a lot of other things that's, and, and I'm always careful to point this out whenever I talk about how bad Madam Web and Morbius is and all that kind of stuff. Sony is doing a lot of really good things in other areas. Even in other areas of their filmmaking division. And when they did a regime change a couple of years ago, like the new CEO who came in is like a diehard lifelong movie fan. And like any thoughts that Sony might spin off their movie division totally went away because he's like, no, fuck no. Like I, I love the movies. We are going to be a movie company. Like we're going to make a lot of other stuff, but we're also going to be a movie company. Um. But listen, what do you want me to say? They, they dropped the ball on Morbius and Madam Web. But they killed it with Into the Spider-Verse. They killed it with Across the Spider-Verse. Whether you like the Venom movies like I do or don't like the Venom movies, which is perfectly fine, you can't ignore the fact that the two Venom movies have made collectively over $1.3 billion at the box office. 1.3 billion with a B, billion dollars at the box office. That's almost equal to how much the two Deadpool movies combined have made. The two Deadpool movies combined have made like 1.4, 1.5. Venom movies have made over 1.3. So, yes, there is Morbius. Yes, there's Madame Webb. But uh, my dear friends, we cannot then ignore the fact that they have had the ghostbusters that they put out a couple of years ago fantastic movie absolutely fantastic they've got a number of really really big wins a number of really really big wins um so they're doing well in a lot of different areas and 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 right now they're really struggling with their spider verse stuff and hopefully they can turn it around hopefully they can but i don't think a regime change is coming in time they did do a regime change and i think it was a good regime change but hey, they're going to have they're still going to have bad days at the office. Madam Web, Morbius, hopefully they learn lessons and start to turn things around and improve it. Hopefully, fingers fingers crossed. All right. Uh Chelsea writes. Godzilla X Kong has the best trailer for 2024 so far. Um I I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I don't. I think it's a very good trailer. I think it is a good trailer. I like it. But, man, there have been some pretty damn awesome trailers. There have been some trailers to movies that I had zero interest in. And then the trailer hit and I'm like, I'm on board. I am on board. Um, you know, I Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, for example, is one that I was looking forward to, but I would have been lying if I said I was super excited for it. Oh, man, then those trailers came out, especially the Super Bowl one. And I'm like drooling. I cannot wait to see this movie now. I don't know that the Godzilla versus Kong trailer, a movie that I have been looking forward to seeing. Uh Godzilla X Kong trailer moved the needle for me terribly much. It did a bit. It did a bit. I'm not gonna lie, it did. But there have been other movies that trailer other trailers that have moved the needle for me a little bit more, but I'm glad you liked it that much. All right. John Redcorn writes, Is Madam Webb worse than Doolittle? Ooh, now we're into a good comparison. I would say, you know what? Maybe tomorrow I would say they're equally as bad. Right now I'm going to say Madam Web is a little bit worse. I mean, Doolittle was really, really bad. I mean, like, don't forget how bad that movie. That was a truly horrendously bad movie. And maybe really the answer is they're equally as bad, but I'm I'm going to say right now, and maybe it's just recency bias speaking, but I'm going to say right now that Madam Web's a little bit risk a little bit worse than um, than Doolittle. All right, Jamie Pascal or sorry, Jedediah writes: Should Amy Pascal bring on Lord and Miller as producers for the live action Miles Morales movie after Spider Verse? Kevin Feige is her first choice. Um, I am all for, and by the way. Remember, Amy Pascal is not a studio head anymore. She's a, she's a producer now, right? So it, it that, that's even a decision that would be above her pay grade. But I would say this. I am all for the idea of when you consider how good of a job Lord and Miller have done with their the animated Spider-Verse, I would say that's enough anecdotal evidence to say, let's give them a shot shepherding, not being like Kevin Feige of the Spider-Verse, but let's give them a shot kind of giving them some oversight, a little bit of oversight, Um, of the live-action Spider-Verse. I think it's somebody they should take a shot with, whether it's live-action Miles Morales or whether it's the other films they're doing. I think they've already established they know how to work in the Spider-Universe. Maybe give them a shot at live-action. Don't even, maybe not even direct, but like to overall produce those things. I think there's an argument to be made for that, Jedediah. All right. A. Marcellus sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, A. Marcellus, for supporting us on that level, man. Writes in, it's been a while, so here's a 20. Thank you, Amrassals. So I also appreciate it. Copies of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth have been released a week early in the wild, so I'm going dark from the internet. Don't want spoilers. Peace, people. Well, help me out. Is is Final Fantasy VII... I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Is it not just an update to the original game? Like, I, I might I haven't been following it closely, but isn't it just the, the original story? Isn't it just the original story? I might be wrong, but is, or is it a completely different game? like is cloud going to be in there with his giant sword or um m joseph is saying in the live chat that it is a retelling okay so uh is saying it's a remake okay remake all right um so is there really anything to spoil if, if you already kind of know how the story goes I, I listen when i me and some buddies used to live in a house when i was a lot younger and we would play a lot of final fantasy 7 Like, that music is forever burned in my brain. Uh, So I'd be very curious to know if this this one's any good. All right. Next up, we've only got a couple left. Oh, no, no, we don't have a couple left. That was it. All right, guys. And you know what? That almost brings us to the end of our three-hour journey tonight. Yes, tonight's open mic has been a three-hour thing. My voice is going to be totally shot tomorrow. Totally shot. But you know what? I've been uh, doing this little thing where I've been taking some just questions from the live chat, no super chats or no everything. Do me a favor, uh, if you're going to put in a question, look at what I just put in on the live chat. See what I put in the live chat. Start it off with question colon and then write your question and put question all in capital letters. So, and I'm only gonna t- I'm not going to take all the questions. I'm only gonna, I'm going to handpick just a couple here. Um. And uh so if any of you guys watching live have anything you want to throw in, go ahead and put it in the live chat there using the format question colon whatever. And I'll take a few more minutes as I take a sip of my uh soda. Uh Sammy Dennis writes. Question. John, uh would you say uh would you say you're still a Christian? It's a it's a that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. Um What I would say to people who ask me that is, I am, you know, there's atheist. Okay, I am theist. I am the opposite of atheist. I am theist, and I certainly do believe um, in in many of the tenets of the traditional Judeo-Christian faith as an individual. The problem is... um, I believe a lot of the people in North America who call themselves Christian are not Christian. Like the theologian Tony Campolo uh, once talked about this sociological term called praxis. The basic idea is, if in in uh, the sociological term is the basic idea that if you gather a group of people and put them on a, a deserted island, eventually they will form a concept of a god that resembles their own pre-existing thoughts and beliefs and values, okay? Praxis is the basic idea that if you put a group of people on a deserted island, as the years go by and centuries go by, eventually they will form the concept of a god that is really just a reflection of their own values. The North American church today is no longer Christian. They, They worship Their own God. They, they created, they worship a God that is American and justifies their prejudices and their hatreds and stuff like that. And it's just not Christian. Like, like, again, I, I don't, I don't mean to get political or anything here, but it just, just as an example to this, right? Uh, and, and I don't care who you support politically. I don't care if you're left. I don't care if you're right. I don't care if you're going to vote Democrat. I don't care if you're going to vote Republican. Don't care. Don't care. That That's fine. However, I'm just going to say this, and this is more on the religion side than it is politics. Because you can have an argument and a debate about uh, the uh, political acumen, the uh, the qualifications to be president of the United States. Th- that's a separate thing, okay? So when I bring up Donald Trump, I'm, I'm not talking about his qualifications to be president. I'm not talking about whether he would has good economic policies. I'm not talking about any of that, okay? I'm not talking about any of that. From From a religious point of view, Jesus was pretty clear on what it is to be a follower of him. And when I look at the North American church, I don't care if people want to vote Republican and vote Donald Trump, that, that's fine. If you're doing that for political reasons, I, I get it. Like, maybe I would vote that way, maybe I wouldn't. But what I find interesting is that the so-called religious right in America are getting behind the most unChrist-like person that has ever maybe walked the face of the earth. A guy who has been married three times Hooked up with his third wife by cheating with her on his second wife, while married to his third wife, had multiple affairs with porn stars, and even paid off political, used political money to pay off hush funds to them, is constantly filled with rage and hate, name calling everybody they possibly can, and all this kind of stuff. Basically, Donald Trump, in, in again, I'm not talking political terms. I'm just talking religious terms. Donald Trump is pretty much the absolute antithesis to what a Christian is. He's the exact opposite of what a a Christ follower is. Which you know, when I was in the church, that was the idea of what a Christian was. A Christian is a Christ follower. There is no gentleness, no kindness, no empathy, no mercy. There's no uh, love. There's nothing. None of that is reflected in today's. North American American version of a church none of that's present there anymore today's church has twisted the Bible to be a ref- so their faith is a reflection of their own pre-existing biases that's about as open and honest as I can ever be about the topic and why I ultimately left the church so when you ask me do I still consider myself a quish- a, a, a Christian or not? It's a loaded question because in this country, what a Christian is, is a far different thing than what the Bible would define as a Christian. And anyway, there's there's that. You wanted to ask a personal question? There's a personal question, and again, none of what I just said was a reflection on what people, who people want to vote for politically and stuff like that. You want to vote Trump, you want to vote Biden, you want to vote a third person. If there is going to be a third party runner, that's all cool. I'm just talking about from the perspective of a Christian faith sort of thing. I just find kind of find it odd that you know the the Christian right, which is so obsessed with politics and trying to control and rule the world, it's it's just a kind of a weird thing. Anyway, all right, uh, let's see. Um E <clears throat> G W O Theos O3013 writes, Do you think that studios will use AI like Sora in the near future? Yes. You know, because um one of the things I, I mentioned that the first video I watched on Sora was the one done by uh Marquise Brownlee MKBHD. And you know, one of the things he pointed out a really good observation. Something like Sora would be great for creating B footage. Because, you know, they, they'll they do like, um, okay, you got your hero and uh, the secondary character talking. It's like, all right, well, let's get to New York. And then smash cut to a, to a helicopter-like shot of New York City Cityscape, right? That B-roll. B-roll is what that's called. Where Sora will become really, really, really useful um, is creating that kind of, like, landscape shots, scenery shots, B-roll cutaway footage. Like, that something like Shore will become very, very, very useful for something like that. Um, so I could see that really becoming uh, important and everything like that. All right, <clears throat> let's see. Um, where Where's another one? Okay, Chino is writing. Is HelloFresh the best out there? i, I tell you what, HelloFresh is great. So, like, the big difference between, say, HelloFresh who is one of our sponsors, and another sponsor, like Factor, is they're actually two very different things. Like HelloFresh is, they provide you everything to prepare your own meals. And, and Anne and I love HelloFresh. It gives us, it's quick, it's easy, it lets us cook together and prepare our meals together, and the food is great and fantastic and wonderful. And So it's it's fantastic. Factor it's not preparing your own food. Like the factor literally delivers your meals completely ready to go. You just got to pop them in the microwave and you're good to go. Like, so they actually come in containers where your meals are already down. So they're two very, very different things, but I'll tell you what, as far as, you know, meal prep services go, I, Ann and I love HelloFresh. We really, really do. It's great. All right. Uh, let's see, what else do we got? Um, We got Samir Wafa who writes, uh, are you going to do a ticket watch for Deadpool and Wolverine? I came across your No Way Home one and it was hilarious. Yes, we are absolutely. Now, this is as long as Disney doesn't drop it as a surprise. Like as as long as, because Disney has done that before with some of their movies where it's like, tickets on sale now, right? As long as they announce when tickets go on sale, like saying, "Hey, tickets for Deadpool go on sale." You know, April fourteenth or whatever. As long as we know it's coming, we are definitely going to do a ticket watch for the Deadpool. Uh, I'm not expecting it's going to crash the ticketing websites like others have, but um, but yeah, I am I am going to do that. Uh, let's see. Tyler Hoffman is writing a question that somebody already asked: Is Expendables worse than Madam Web? Uh, again, it's it's tough to compare because. I didn't stay for all of Expendables. I didn't stay for the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I left. All right. K. Nico writes, will there be a Deadpool 4? I believe there will, yes. As long as Deadpool 3 doesn't flop, which, I mean, it's possible. It could flop. It could. It's possible. I doubt it will. Um, But yeah, I, I believe, like a lot of people are saying, well, the trailer says everybody deserves a happy ending. That means this is the end of it. Maybe, but I doubt it. I don't see Disney and Marvel and Kevin Feige going through years of development and putting all this stuff into having Ryan Reynolds come back and do a Deadpool movie unless they had plans to at least do two or three. They got to get their worth out of it. So yes, I believe, I don't know as a fact, let me be clear, but I believe there will be a Deadpool 4. At least I believe that. Um, Okay, let's see here. Um, The Richard writes... Is DC's Creature Commandos on your radar yet? Honestly, no, it's really not. Apparently, it's not just an R-rated animated, but also live action, and they have already filmed. This was per Frank Grillo. I think they've filmed shots or scenes. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about DC's upcoming animated film, Creature Commandos, (coughs) is that James Gunn has already confirmed that we are going to see some of the characters in it in live action uh, elsewhere in the DCU later on. And that the, the actors they cast to do the voices, like Frank Grillo, um, are going to also be the live-action versions of those characters, which is very interesting. But I got to be honest with you, it's not on my radar. Now, maybe it will, you know, once a trailer comes out, and maybe it'll turn me around and get me really excited about it, I hope it does. Uh, but yeah. All right. Next up. Jose Rodriguez writes, question how does Mint Mobile call-in work? Oh, you mean our Mint Mobile hotline? Do you need Mint Mobile or not? No, you don't. Uh, Never understood it. No, no, listen, it's very, very clear. There's just a phone number. It's sponsored by Mint Mobile. It's called our Mint Mobile hotline, but it's just a phone number. We bring it up on the screen every time, the phone number. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, It's 951 something, but just go back and watch any of the videos and you can just call that number. And then uh, you'll hear my voice going, hey, leave a message, make it 30 seconds or less, and uh, maybe you'll hear it on the show. Now, we don't answer all of them. We only pick, like, one a day. And there's some days that we don't pick any. But uh, we do one most days. But we pick one, um, and, yeah. But, no, you don't need to be a Mint Mobile customer. You should be a Mint Mobile customer, but you don't need to be a Mint Mobile customer. You can just call the number and and leave a message, and maybe you'll hear it on the show. All right, thanks for the question, Jose. All right, I'm gonna take one more because then I got to get home. <laughs> it's like we've been going for three hours here. Um, uh, well, maybe one or two more. Okay, MSK writes not a real question, but if you ever go on a tour on a live tour in Atlanta, I'll be there. You know what? I did do Atlanta back when I was at AMC. We actually did a live show at one of the uh, at one of the AMC theaters in Atlanta. I brought the AMC Movie News crew, or at least a couple of members of the AMC Movie News crew, and we actually did a live uh, show there one time, and we had a blast. We had an absolute blast doing that show, and thank you to everybody who was in Atlanta and came and joined us for that as well. Uh, All right, Uh, last one. Um, Let me see if I can find one. <laughs> now, this won't talk, but does pineapple belong on pizza? No, it's an abomination against God and humanity. Pineapple should not be on pizza. All right. Um, uh, somebody's asking about Black Sales. I've never watched it. Okay, we'll do this one. The last one of the day. Question. Would you say that now Marvel is banking on Deadpool three to move the franchise. No, but I I think they're counting on it to move the needle. Okay. I don't think they're counting on Deadpool three to move the whole franchise, but they're counting on it to move the needle. I think we all agree that Marvel, whether you love Marvel, hate Marvel, whatever. I think we all agree that Marvel is not in its healthiest spot that it has been right now. Can we all agree on that? Like, even if you love what Marvel's doing right now, I think most of us would agree that right now it's not as healthy as it has been in its past. Can we agree on that? I think we can. And as some, we may agree or disagree about how unhealthy it is right now, but um, it needs a win. It it needs a big, significant win actually needs a chain of wins, but They're really banking on Deadpool 3 kind of reestablishing and reminding the audience how great a Marvel film can be, how fun a Marvel film can be, that going to a Marvel film is a great in-theater experience. They really want Deadpool 3 to do that and move the needle a bit. Now, it can't just be a a great Deadpool 3 movie. They've got to follow it up with other great stuff as well, but they're really counting on it starting off with Deadpool 3. So, um, yeah, they're... There is uh, that. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's three hour live stream of open mic. Thank you so much for your indulgence and being here and hanging out with me this evening. Good to have all you guys here. Uh, don't forget, uh, me, Ray, Jonathan, and Rob will be back again in about 16 hours, uh, to do the next episode of the John Campion show podcast. I hope you guys will join me for that. So thank you to everyone. Big thanks to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because he gave us amazing things to talk about. But number two, you supported my channel as you did it. And everybody who's involved with the John Campia channel, thanks you guys so much for your support. So hopefully, we'll see you guys again tomorrow. My name's John Campia. And until next time, oh, God, this has been a long one. Until next time, my friends, bye bye.